Chapter 40 Tutorial Rewards Narrowing Down Options What appeared before Jake was less of a list and more comparable to an online shop with pictures of items and everything. What amazed him, however, was the sheer quality and quantity of goods available. He had expected for a few epic or maybe ancient level items to be there at most. It turned out he had been sorely mistaken. Spirehawk Longbow of Endless Embers, Legendary, Blade of Material Rending, Legendary, Spear of Elea, Legendary, and the items continued like that. He was amazed and awed, but soon found an issue. All of them were marked with a small red cross. Upon further inspection, he found what it meant. You do not meet the requirements to use this item. To make it all the more aggravating, it didn't tell him what the requirements were for any of them like it was all just a big tease to annoy him. He could buy them, just not use them. However, his annoyance got better when he scrolled downwards to find some he could use, even legendary ones. Consuming Light, Legendary, Bone Blade of Umbra, Legendary, Bow of Woe, Legendary. Of course, most of them had ominous names or were related to shadows, it appeared. He spent quite a while looking at the items, but soon stopped as he noticed something else. In his excitement, he had missed a menu at the top. Putting his attention on it, a drop-down menu opened. He had apparently picked the first option without even noticing. Equipment, weapons, equipment, armor, equipment, miscellaneous, miscellaneous items, consumables, skills, profession, skills, race, skills, class, custom, consult guide for further help. Jake got a bit giddy when he saw that he could get more than just a new dagger or bow. He had so many options, he was frankly overwhelmed. He started slowly looking at some of the things under armor, considering what to do. He must have spent nearly half an hour before he shook his head and took his attention away from the menu, trying to clear his head. He was so overwhelmed with options that he found it paralyzing. He had so many points, and looking at some of the prices, he could get several legendary items if he wished. It was too much. Instead, he tried to look a bit at the last option, custom. Am I right to assume that you are the guide? He asked the human-like creature still sitting eerily in the chair. Correct, the creature that would henceforth be known as guide answered. What can the custom options give me? Anything, as long as you have sufficient points. Anything, Jake thought, a bit skeptical. Could he really ask for literally anything? He asked the first thing that came to mind. Can I resurrect someone who died during the tutorial? Yes. How many points would it require to do so? If you wish for a true resurrection, you do not have enough to resurrect any. Jake decided to stop at that. He remembered his chat with the Malefic Viper on some aspects of life and death in the multiverse. Anything less than a true resurrection was something he didn't want to even think about. While he could maybe raise them as undead or spirits of some kind, he believed it would lead him down a path he wasn't comfortable with. Instead, he chose to pursue the second thing on his mind. Could you also just, I don't know, make me a god or something? Theoretically, Jake asked curiously. You currently have enough points for eleven race levels, sixteen class levels, or nine profession levels. Note that any levels gained through this method may have adverse effects later on. 
Yeah, fuck that, he thought, before asking for something he actually did want, if it was possible. Can you enhance my bloodline? If he was sure about one thing, it was the value of his bloodline. It had been the thing that had propelled him to where he was today, and one that would surely continue to do so in the future. It had gained him a legendary skill out of nothing, and without it he would, without a doubt, have died already. As he thought this, he looked at the guide. With every other question he had asked, the thing had provided an immediate answer, but with this one it had just... stopped. While it didn't move much to begin with, this was the first time he had seen the guide frozen like this. Hello? he asked a bit tentatively. Had he broken it? The few more seconds ticked by before the guide answered in a voice more mechanical than ever before. Insufficient data to provide a meaningful answer. Not a negative, he thought, but nevertheless tried again. How many points would it require to enhance my bloodline? This time the answer came instantly. Insufficient data to provide a meaningful answer. I take that as a no. That question got no answer. Getting the hint, he moved on. With resurrections and bloodline improvements eliminated as options, he went for the next most important thing, knowledge. Can I buy information? Yes, note that the price of said information is dependent on the value of it. Certain things are also off-limits. Any piece of information will also count as a purchase. Then, don't waste points, son, what you can get for free. The voice sounded out in his head as he was about to ask about his family's circumstances, a very familiar voice. Philly? Jake asked out loud after hearing the voice. He felt a weird connection between him and the god as the voice continued. Yeah, giving out a divine message here, O oh prophet of mine, but cutting the bullshit, you should focus on improving your base power for now. Things that will help you going forward, skills or items that can be useful for a long time. Skip weapons and armor or any item with inherently limited power. You are good in that department, and too strong equipment may only end up being a crutch. Skills are a good start. Uh, cauldron? What? Shit. Towards the end, the voice turned harder to understand until it fizzled out completely. The first divine message Jake had ever received directly from a god turned out to be a rather casual one offering advice. Advice Jake decided to follow, especially the last part about getting a cauldron. It sounded interesting. It was currently using the unranked mixing bowl from the challenge dungeon for his alchemy. It had done its job so far, but that was about it. Like with nearly all other trade tools, there were many items he could use to improve the effectiveness of his creations. One such item was a cauldron, like a mixing bowl that had a mana pattern and runes inscribed upon it that facilitated alchemy. Those patterns appeared to be basic system-provided ones that all such tools carried. Of course, that wasn't to say those couldn't be improved upon. Jake had learned to transform mana into vital energy in the form of health potions and inner energy in the form of stamina potions, but that was about it when it came to what the basic mixing bowl could do. The bowl was also only suitable for liquids. While he hadn't learned to make pills yet, a cauldron would be absolutely necessary for that. A cauldron also came with a lid, making it easier to control things such as heat, 
and keep out external factors. Overall, they were just better than simple bowls in nearly every way, except, of course, being more expensive. So the first thing he decided to do was look into the miscellaneous items tab, where he quickly located the window containing alchemy tools. Once more he was taken aback by the sheer quantity of items on offer. Not just cauldrons, but mixing bowls, catalysts, crystals, herbs, alembics, and just a whole lot of things he had no idea what the hell were even for. Focusing his attention on the cauldrons, he removed all other options and started going through only those. To his pleasant surprise, he could actually use his identify on the cauldrons, but only the ones at ancient rating or below. The best ones carried a legendary rating, and all but one had a big red X covering them. Looking at the one he could use, he quickly discarded that one too. Firstly, due to the massive cost of around 90 billion TP, and secondly, because it was far too specialized for what he wanted. It was one that was very explicitly made for pills, which he couldn't even make yet. Looking over the ancient and epic rarity ones, he couldn't help but marvel at how many different alchemy specialties were available. Heck, some were even made for attacking enemies, allowing the alchemical flame that all alchemists had to become a weapon. The most disturbing one was a cauldron made for living beings, allowing the alchemist to turn their bodies into mush to be used in pills or potions. In the end, he was split between two cauldrons, both having different pros and cons. Cauldron of Myriad Essences, Epic, a cauldron made by infusing a vast array of essences within it, granting it the ability to far more easily and efficiently transform mana affinities, allows the user to change affinities to elemental affinities the user doesn't possess himself. The cauldron has very high mana conductivity due to the material and the runes inscribed upon it, but it is somewhat fragile compared to many other types of cauldrons. Enchantments, mana conductivity, very high, mana transparency, medium, Durability, low, myriad essences, requirements, level 50+, in any alchemy-related profession, price, 108,560,000 TP, Altmar Cauldron of Supreme Simplicity, ancient, sometimes less is more, made by the Altmar Empire's expert crafters, this cauldron was created with the express purpose of efficient alchemy, given to the royal alchemists in training, it often becomes a cauldron for life for even the most talented, the runes inscribed are easy to use and greatly enhance mana efficiency and conductivity while also making the entire working process far more transparent for the user. Enchantments, mana conductivity, supreme, mana transparency, supreme, durability, extremely high, requirements, soulbound, price, 990 million tutorial points. The two he was looking at were indeed very different from one another. The first one was far more complex and made for more intricate works, but didn't have the sheer dominance in efficiency and usefulness that the second had. The cauldron of myriad essences, however, allowed him to do things he couldn't otherwise. He knew he lacked some mana affinities, of course, ones that would, without a doubt, lock him out of making certain things. This cauldron would allow him to work around that. The Ultimar Cauldron of Supreme Simplicity, on the other hand, was just pure usefulness in a cauldron. It was good in every way, and even had the extraordinary benefit of being soul-bound. The transparency was mostly something he liked, making it easier for him to learn as he worked. One of the benefits of a mixing bowl like the one he had was the incredible transparency in everything he made, something a cauldron would obscure in favor of improving the mixing process. This cauldron would allow him to limit that obscuration.
Also, poisons tended to quickly whittle down the durability of a cauldron or mixing bowl. He wasn't even sure how long his current bowl would hold on. If he had to pick one, he would go with the Altmer one. However, do I need to pick only one? He could choose a total of five things from the shop, so maybe he would still want both. Of course, it all depended on what else he decided to buy. The combined price for both of them was not even a twentieth of his total points, so he had plenty more things to go for. Next up, he moved over to the skills profession window. To his disappointment, he didn't see a single skill related to the malefic viper within. It didn't even show the usual skills he could pick. There were only twenty skills or so in total, the best of which was epic rating, a skill that didn't interest him in the least. What was there were instead things that appeared utterly unrelated to his profession. Two were even related to landscaping, something that would be kind of useful if he wanted to make a garden or something, but it wasn't really him. The only fascinating thing was a type of magic circle or formation that could change natural mana's affinity into the nature affinity. It was only a rare skill, and Jake was a bit surprised he could even learn it, considering he hadn't picked the nature affinity skill. The purpose of the formation was to create an area to better grow herbs, of course, but Jake wasn't planning on settling down and making a lovely garden any time soon. He would rather just have another cauldron or two that would allow him to better use whatever herbs he found in the world. A bit disappointed, he moved on and tried the skills race window, where he found absolutely nothing. Apparently, humans didn't have shit when it came to race skills. Somehow it didn't really disappoint him, though, as he just moved on. Next, he checked the consumables part of the store. There he found an utter shitload of items, including potions of all sorts. Luckily for whoever decided to buy them, you could get them in bundles of a dozen, so you wouldn't waste your limited five options by just getting a few health potions. In there he also saw elixirs, but was a bit disappointed by how weak they were. Each only provided plus ten to a given stat. However, the price was low, costing only around a million for each one, but you could only buy them individually. Needless to say, Jake didn't have any interest in those. It would feel like a waste. Next, he moved to the big one, skills, class. He feared running into a situation similar to the one he'd had with professions, but found himself pleasantly surprised. He had quite a few more options here, and the quality was far better, too, with no lack of both epic and ancient skills. There were even two legendary ones. The epic skills did have a few interesting ones, but Jake wasn't sure about any of them. He felt like his basic toolkit for fighting was adequate in many ways already, his main weaknesses being his resistance to mental and soul attacks. Of course, he knew that he likely had many other huge glaring flaws, ones he would surely be in for a lot of hurt learning, such as some good area of effect attacks. This wasn't to say he couldn't get better at fighting, but he did feel like he needed a better movement skill. Shadow Vault of Umber was undoubtedly strong in many ways, but it also did have a lot of glaring flaws. Its consumption of energy was rather large, and he couldn't use it properly in many instances. It didn't really speed him up that much, and more often than not, he found himself using its phasing functionality more than the movement part of it. He would also like a movement skill that could allow him to travel more comfortably. If his plan of locating his family were to come to fruition, he would likely need to go on quite the hike. His second wish for a new skill was one to make use of his high perception stat. He was at a whopping 1,483 perception with his recent power-ups, 
his second highest stat being agility at 865. He also had 61 free points to boost it further if he found the need, making it possible for his perception to go to nearly 1600 after the percentage bonuses from his titles and bloodline. After looking over all the skills, he settled on three to move forward with, the first of which was a movement skill, one step mile, ancient, and finally two possible perception skills, two that also happened to be legendary ones, all-seeing eye of Horus, legendary, gaze of the apex predator, legendary. Chapter 41, Tutorial Rewards, Getting Stuff. Jake began with the movement skill One Step Mile. He liked everything about it, and the description sounded just straight-up cool. One Step Mile, Ancient. A single step is sometimes enough to cross vast distances. It is said that the very space between the user and their foes shrinks with every footfall. By drawing on the concept of space, this skill allows the user to cross far longer distances with every step. Know that there must be a clear path between you and your target grants a noticeable bonus to the effectiveness of endurance and agility when using one step mile. Price, two billion two hundred million. The skill was straightforward in principle. It would allow Jake to move further with every step and be able to travel far more effortlessly. In combat, it would undoubtedly also prove valuable for dodging and creating distance between him and his opponent. The thing about drawing on the concept of space only made it even more interesting. It would literally allow Jake to warp space, or maybe warp himself through space. Either way, anything dealing with manipulating space itself couldn't be bad in his eyes. He was fully aware that despite the name saying one step mile, he wouldn't be able to cross an entire mile with every step. At least he seriously doubted he could, and if he could somehow manage to do it, it had to cost an obscene amount of stamina to do so, or mana. He wasn't sure exactly what resource the skill would require, the last part of his skill was the price. While steep, it was still only 10% of his total, showing once more how obscenely many points he had managed to acquire. It was even one of the more expensive ones. He'd pretty much settled on picking the skill when he moved on to the next two. Both perception-based skills and both legendary, he expected a lot from both of them, and the first one didn't disappoint. All-seeing Eye of Horus, legendary, Eyes that pierce the veil of obscuration, allows the hunter to see through most illusions and other effects that obscure the senses, allows the hunter to project his vision in all directions around himself, allows the hunter to project his vision to any place within his line of sight, acting like another visual organ. With practice, may your eyes observe all of existence with a single glance. All effects of the skill are based on perception. Price, 16,145 million. The all-seeing eye of Horus was just straight-up nutty in his opinion. It appeared to not only give what his sphere of perception already had, but also a whole lot of other things attached. Projected vision, ignoring illusions, etc. If he'd had this skill during the sewer dungeon, he doubted the dark mana would have had any effect on him at all. Without a doubt, the skill had many moving parts and several aspects to it. It felt more like three or four skills than one cohesive skill. While that wasn't a bad thing, it did seem to have many uses Jake doubted he would make much use of. It was also a utility skill, for the most part. The most obviously useful part of it in combat was the spherical vision, but quite honestly, Jake had a feeling that he was better than whatever the skill offered. 
He knew that he hadn't practiced anywhere close to as much as he should with his bloodline abilities, and he would prefer to do that over picking a potentially worse skill. Projecting his vision had to be the most exciting part of it. It would allow him to scout way further ahead and see things he otherwise couldn't. It, coupled with the ability to see through obscuration effects, had to make the skill extremely overpowered when scouting. Thing is, Jake didn't feel like he needed to get that much better at scouting. He felt like his extreme intuition and his already high perception would be able to spot most enemies far ahead of time, and those he couldn't detect would likely be able to whip his ass anyway. Overall evaluation of the skill was strong, he just didn't feel like it suited him. The price tag of 16 billion was also an excellent deterrent. He would instead pick a more suitable ancient skill if it came down to it. There was a chance that his bloodline would create shenanigans, but he didn't want to risk it with a legendary skill. Based on the final skill, risking it didn't seem necessary either. Gaze of the Apex Predator, legendary. A single glance, a fallen prey. The Apex Predator has grown to where their foes cower in fear as it lays its eyes upon them. A glance that penetrates into the very soul of its prey, the gaze of the Apex Predator can immobilize or even kill any it sees. Gives the hunter the ability to paralyze, knock out, and even kill his prey through visual contact. This skill directly targets the soul of the target, ignoring distance, physical defense, and most magical defenses. All effects of gaze of the Apex Predator are determined by perception. Cost, 18,457,000,000. Reading the skill, he couldn't help but remember the attack from the King of the Forest that had knocked him out and nearly spelled his doom. It had been an attack that had directly hit him just by the creature looking at him, though there were some differences. The King had released pulses of energy that had hit him like a sledgehammer directly to his brain. The skill was likely different, but the effects very much the same. He would be able to potentially knock out and even kill just by looking at people. He had to admit that some juvenile part of him couldn't help grinning at the thought of killing eyes. Taking a more realistic view of things, he could see so much potential. The part about ignoring distance was exciting. He could already imagine standing far away from his enemy as he channeled infused power shot to then freeze the target with gaze of the apex predator just before the arrow was about to hit. Comparing it to the all-seeing eye of Oris, it was also clear that this skill was far more cohesive. It did one thing, and one thing only. It was a skill that appealed to him in every way. If he could mimic just a bit of whatever the king had done, it would instantly become an invaluable skill. As he thought of the skill, another thought struck him. By using the custom option, is it possible to merge skills? he asked the guide. Yes, provided the skills hold any compatibility to begin with, and that ye meet the minimum base requirements to do so. Can you merge the gaze of the apex predator and my hunter's sight? Negative, you do not possess the gaze of the apex predator's skill. Fuck you. Annoyed, he did some quick math to see if he could afford all the skills he wanted. It was a bit tight. Honestly, the gaze would cost him nearly all his points alone, showing exactly how costly it was. If he bought the two cauldrons, gaze, and one-step mile, he would be left with around 150 million points. A substantial amount, for sure, and hopefully enough to merge his two skills. If not, well, there were other skills available. Having decided, he started out by buying the gaze of the apex predator. If the price for merging is too high, 
I can skip one of the cauldrons, I guess. Confirming his purchase, he felt the knowledge enter his brain, followed by a burning sensation in his eyes. It wasn't the warm, comfortable feeling he usually got upon getting his skill, but more like someone had put hot iron directly into his pupils. Letting out a surprised yelp, he put both his hands to his eyes as he fell backward. The pain was comparable to the time he'd nearly gotten eroded from his legs up during the challenge dungeon. Perhaps because what was currently happening to his eyes was very reminiscent of that. In his pain, he picked up how his eyes underwent a cycle of destruction and regeneration as they were fundamentally rebuilt. His eyes would no longer be like those of a human, but closer to those of a beast. If one day he died, his eyes would be considered great material for many crafters. It felt like hours, but only took a few minutes. Now, lying on the floor, Jake slowly opened his eyes. The white color that covered the room looked no different than before, and upon setting up and gazing about, he noticed nothing different. His eyesight remained unchanged. What had changed, however, was what he felt like his eyes could now do. He didn't have any target, but he instinctually knew that his gaze now held power. Getting an idea, he tried to activate Hunter's sight. His sight sharpened initially, but soon everything turned blurry as his eyes started burning again. Ow, oh, for fuck. Congratulations, Gaze of the Apex Predator and Hunter's Sight have merged into Gaze of the Apex Hunter. <laughs> fuck yeah. As his sentiment underwent a sudden drastic change, he couldn't help smiling. It turned out that having two skills, both directly affecting the eyes, were easily mergeable if one tried. The new description had just straight up merged the skills with only minimal changes to both. Gaze of the Apex Hunter, legendary. A hunter who has seen his gaze reflected in the eyes of the Apex Predator and now stares back with equal zeal. A glance that penetrates into the very soul of its prey, the gaze of the Apex Hunter can immobilize or even kill any it sees. Gives the hunter the ability to paralyze, knock out, and even kill his prey through visual contact. This skill directly targets the soul of the target, ignoring distance, physical defense, and most magical defenses. Passively enhances the hunter's eyes, increasing the effect of perception, while also making weak points easier to spot. All effects of gaze of the apex hunter are determined by perception. As the description reflected, the changes were minor, but the one that was there mattered a lot. Hunter's sight was now just a passive. Opening his eyes, he, of course, instantly noticed how everything appeared sharper. Even before, he often had the skill active for long durations of the fight, but he had started neglecting it towards the end. He didn't really need to be able to see the big boar he was already stabbing better, and highlighting weak points didn't do much either. It just instinctually made him aware of where his target was weaker, which so far had been rather apparent places. Big surprise that eyes, hearts, and brains were weak points. Feeling very happy, he quickly picked up the two cauldrons he wanted. They appeared on the table before him, one of them incredibly beautiful and ornate, and the other one just looking like a big ball of metal with a lid. The pretty one was the cauldron of myriad essences. It was marked with figures of flames burning and a wave pattern running all along it. All the flames were carried and pushed by the wind as they struck the carvings of earth. It was quite honestly a work of art. Its size was only around thirty centimeters across, and it was nearly perfectly round except for four stumpy legs. The other cauldron, the Altmar Cauldron of Supreme Simplicity, was, despite being superior, rather cheap-looking and unimpressive. 
It also had four stumpy lids, and its size was also roughly the same. And while he didn't notice anything else surprising about it, he did feel the differences upon laying his hand on it. It felt like he was a part of the cauldron, like it was an extension of his body. He nearly wanted to stop and do alchemy right there and then. Shaking his head, the Altmer cauldron was put in his storage. It was already bound to him, since it was so bound. After that, he bound the other cauldron and put that in his storage. Next, he went into the skills class menu and picked up the one-step mile skill. Surprisingly, nothing impressive happened upon him doing so, as he just felt the knowledge of how to use it enter his head. He had expected a bit more after the whole incident with Gaze, and didn't know if he should be disappointed or happy. He didn't have space in the room to practice the skill, and instead decided to look for something else. He had 136,552,142 points remaining. A significant number, for sure, but it felt like so little compared to the nearly 22 billion he'd started with. Going through the lists, he ended up settling on something relatively simple in the end. Omnitool, rare. A favorite for nearly all professions. This tool is made of a liquid metal that can take on any pre-programmed shape that the user desires. While unsuitable for combat, it has incredible application when it comes to performing nearly any recreational task. Enchantments, self-repair. Cost, 1,900,000. If it did what was on the tin, it would be a useful tool in the future. Jake had to remember that he was returning to Earth once more, and having access to tools would likely be limited. He didn't even have any idea how the planet he returned to would look, so having the overpowered equivalent of a Swiss Army knife available wouldn't hurt. The other thing he took notice of was the low cost of it. It was roughly the same price as other rare weapons and smaller armor pieces, and compared to all the other things he had gotten, it was peanuts. Then again, he had to consider that others would have access to a similar store, and far from everyone would have accumulated billions, or heck, even millions of points. He remembered the aspiring blade of nature he had fought what felt like ages ago. He had gotten a bit less than 800,000 tutorial points from that guy, and he had been nearly E-grade and relatively competent. As he had gained half the points off him, it meant he only had around one and a half million, which wasn't even enough for the Omni-Tool. With that logic, was the store actually rather stingy? Jake spent a bit more time going through all the menus, but couldn't find anything more interesting. None of the skills or special items he could find spoke to him, and he was too lacking in imagination to come up with some custom stuff. He did consider if he could get an item to find his family or something, but he felt like he would instead just ask the Viper about it. Finally, buying the damn tool, he saw a small orb appear on the table in front of him. He was at first taken aback, afraid he had purchased a tool for a gnome or midget. Upon picking it up and injecting mana into it, however, he discovered that it was just highly condensed metal and could, at his command, expand to a size several times bigger. He couldn't hold himself back from testing a bit, transforming it into a shovel, a hammer, and even an umbrella, just for the hell of it. This thing may just be my favorite, he thought, as he continued transforming it into different shapes. Sadly, he couldn't make it into any weapons except a knife, and even then he could feel that it wasn't made for fighting, but cooking or maybe sharpening sticks or something. Quickly growing bored of playing around, he put it away. A few seconds passed as he just stood there, staring into space. The store window was gone, the guide silent, 
and the room still as empty as always. So, one now. Intermission 2. Life After Death. Casper. Casper stood silently as he looked at himself in the mirror before him. He still found it hard to recognize that this was truly him, even after so many days had passed. His ashen skin, gray eyes with black pupils, and black hair that looked to be graying were all so unfamiliar. But what was eerier was that he now couldn't feel himself. He didn't feel the faint response from his muscles when he moved his arms, he didn't hear or feel his own heartbeat, and his senses in general felt dulled, or perhaps replaced was more correct. Instead, he could smell the manna in the air, he could sense the warmth of things even if it wasn't through the feeling of touch, a feeling of warmth that his own body did not give off as it idled at the same temperature as whatever environment he was in. Any normal human would be dead if their body reached such a low degree, but perhaps that was normal. Because Casper had to accept that he wasn't alive anymore. The only warmth he felt was from the necklace he wore. He had made a pact with forces he didn't truly understand in a moment of desperation and despair, listened to sweet promises of a happy ending in exchange for doing as he was asked. He had been forbidden from slaying William no matter how much he wished, banned from sharing any of the knowledge he had been given with his colleagues or friends, forced to live and die with the knowledge that they wouldn't exit the tutorial. That is all in the past, he reminded himself. He would return to his own universe when the tutorial's duration was over, and then he would have work to do. Walking out of a small door leading onto a balcony, he stared up into the four black spheres hanging above. Despite all appearing pitch black, they still exhibited a white light that covered the entire planet at all hours of the day. Currently he only saw four, but knew nine existed in total. While sunlight did not hurt undead, the effect it had on the mana was less than ideal. Instead, these orbs gave off a type of mana far more aligned with the death affinity mana that permeated the entirety of the undead empire. It was currently in a giant complex of thousands of buildings serving the same purpose preparing for the 93rd universe's integration. Teachers, soldiers, and scholars were all there to make sure the undead empire was ready. Casper was far from the only one in the 93rd universe there. In fact, he had come to learn that within the inner area, a tutorial was going on. He felt like that raised far too many questions than he could ever hope to find the answers to in the short time he had. Yet, Casper had come to discover that he was viewed in a special light. He also wasn't the only one that had come here from other tutorials. Far from it. But he was the only one that had been brought there the way he was. Others had come through challenge dungeons or their tutorials being linked to the undead empire. The most surprising thing was that several people who were brought into the tutorial were already dead. Every single individual who had died in the last 24 hours before the integration had been given a second chance. This meant nearly 150,000 humans had been brought into the tutorials already as undead. This had naturally resulted in quite a lot of confusion from what Casper had heard. Not that he had met or observed any of those tutorials. He was in the second batch of those who had chosen to become undead willingly during his tutorial. Looking away from the dark sun above, he grabbed a bag and began walking down to the meeting room. 
There he would meet those in a similar situation to his own as they prepared. There was less than a week before their return to earth, and there was much to prepare. Entering the room, he saw that quite a few others were already there. Five people were sitting around a table already discussing, but they all quieted the moment he entered, all waiting for the leader of their little group to speak. I did not expect you today, she said as she got up and smiled towards him, brushing her hair back. She had long black hair that extended down past her shoulders, and the same gray eyes as himself, except for a faint white light in the middle of the pupil. Despite being undead, she hadn't lost any of her voluptuosity, but was still as well endowed as she had been before death. Not that Casper cared. You should have, Priscilla, Casper answered with slight annoyance at the woman's intimate approach. This earned him some venomous stares from the four young men that had been sitting with her, but none of them dared speak up. They had the last time they met, and that had been met with more pain than any of them ever wished to experience again. Curses did not care if one was undead or living. But he did see that the woman had gained another level since last, still staying ahead of him, which wasn't that surprising, as she had been higher ever since their first meeting. Risen Human, Level 44 Ah, sorry, Casper, there is just so much to keep track of, she said, not at all discouraged by his dismissive attitude. We need to do a good job when we return, don't we? Sure, he answered, as he took a seat at the far end of the table. He didn't hesitate to take out a large book and begin reading, completely ignoring the others in the room. Slowly the room filled as more people arrived. Some had come back from hunting, while others had been studying, the final one to arrive was the one who had called the meeting, a skeleton wearing a white robe floating a few feet above the ground. Lich, level unknown. Good, you have all arrived, it said in a female voice. With less than a week remaining, the final preparations are being made. Your planet is not especially suited for undead habitation, but that does not mean it isn't worth considering. However, what is most important is not making more enemies than we can handle during the early phases. The living tend to have an inborn aversion towards us undead that you will have to overcome, especially in a world such as yours, where the culture has painted us in a rather negative light. Therefore, today's lesson will revolve around creating diplomatic relations with others, be they living or dead. As the lich spoke, one of the men in the room raised his hand. Is a plan not to completely transform the planet? Wouldn't it make more sense to... No, it is not. Complete terraformation seldom leads to positive results, especially not in new universes like this. Word will spread, and our relations with others will weaken even more. We already have enough issues with the Holy Church currently. There is no need to provide them more arguments against us. Not like we could anyway, Gasper muttered to himself loud enough for them all to hear, the lich included. Casper is right in that it would be a very arduous path. We simply do not have the numbers or power to do something like that on your planet, and I doubt the other forces seeking to influence your world would allow it. So stay diplomatic and seek out peaceful solutions. The meeting continued for the better part of an hour, with Casper returning to his book halfway through. This talk was never for him, but those meatheads that thought they were aiming for world domination or something silly like that. After the meeting, Casper left without speaking to any of them further, 
despite Priscilla's attempts to invite him to hunt together. She wouldn't stop pestering him, and it was getting annoying. He didn't know why she was so obsessed with him, but he did have some theories, one of which was that it was because of the teacher he was on his way to meet. Walking into the teleportation circle, he raised the badge he had been given and felt the manna around him come alive. His vision shifted for a few moments before he found himself somewhere new, within the central spire of the entire complex. It was a huge tower of bone and steel, filled with magic scribbles and runes that no one but his teacher understood. Walking up the spiral staircase, he knocked on the door before opening it. Within, he saw another skeletal figure lazing back on a chair with runic scriptures floating before the two ghostly flames that were his eyes. Teacher, he said with a nod, knowing the lich was already aware of him. Archlich, level, unknown. Dispelling the runes, the archlich said in an amused voice, Why even attend those meetings? They are a waste of time. It would be weird if I never showed up, and it helps me to get a better grasp of how strong others are, Casper answered truthfully. Levels aren't everything when it comes to power. You will all hit a wall eventually anyway, so why does it matter if they are a few dozen levels higher now if you were a hundred ahead in a century, his teacher asked, half rhetorically. Casper answered nevertheless, The first few years after we return will be tumultuous. We will need power not to be wiped out right away. True, but that is not your creed. I am not training you to be a warrior tomorrow, but an asset in a millennium. You taking a small piece of land in a virgin universe is just a small bonus. But I do understand it can be hard to think centuries ahead when you worry about tomorrow. So let us get started immediately. With those words, the mighty maid before him waved his hands, and the room changed. The walls expanded outwards as a huge central arena appeared, with the two of them within. At the same time, the mana density spiked immensely. The air shimmered with power. It wasn't death affinity mana either, but pure mana. Casper didn't need any prompt before he got started. Activating his skill, Magiscript, he began drawing the runes and shapes in the air. His teacher observed him and spoke as he made errors were praised when he correctly picked up the right thing to do. Occasionally the lich changed the mana's flow, forcing Casper to adapt or see his budding magic circle fall to pieces. Remember, we are architects of magic, but as mortal architects, we are forced to work with the building materials we have. Working with only our own mana, we have to use our environment to the full effect. Shape your circle as nature has shaped the world. Casper kept practicing for hours, his own mana pool barely being dented due to the high mana density and his own low expenditure. Your power lies not only in knowledge, but your emotions. Manifest them, through your will, impose them upon the magic, make your intent clear. With time, it shall become an instinct to do this with everything. That is the key to true magic. After a few more hours, Casper felt his mental energy reach its limits as the next shift in mana washed away all the scripts of mana he had written in the air, and the constructs of mana all fell apart one by one. The shapes and programmed spells turned to nothing. Casper collapsed, exhausted to the ground. If he were still able to sweat, his entire body would have been soaked through. 
but as an undead, the only sign was that his eyes appeared slightly dimmer than before due to low spirit points. His teacher looked at him with an expressionless skeletal face as he gave some more feedback. Better than lost, but you still have a long way to go. You need to rely far more on your experience with curses and emotional energy. From a technical standpoint, you can't be considered talented, but your innate ability to harness emotions is very promising. So focus on that. The room returned to normal after he spoke, forming the same circular study it had been when Casper first entered. Now, see you tomorrow for our next session. Get some rest and try to practice some of your own time. Tomorrow we are working on physical manifestations and using magic scripts to alter the physical world. With those words from his teacher, Casper did a tired bow before he turned and left. He nearly fell down the staircase and did stumble a bit after taking the teleportation circle back, but he didn't complain. He knew exactly how valuable those lessons with the Archlich were. While Casper was still new to the multiverse like everyone else, he had fast come to learn what a demigod was, because his teacher was one, a being that had reached the limits of mortality only a single step from godhood, was now teaching him. He had looked for an explanation ever since his first lesson, but he couldn't find the reason. It wasn't that extraordinary, his talents only mediocre in most places. Priscilla was far more talented than him, and even with such a powerful teacher, he couldn't catch up in levels. When he got back to his room, he lay down on his bed and fished out the necklace from beneath his clothes. It was a small locket, and he quickly opened it and saw the ghostly image of a woman within. It was slightly moving, but her eyes were closed, as if she was sleeping. Pyra, he muttered, as he felt pain in his chest. She was why he had made the pact and come here, yet he could only wait. Her soul had been saved, but it was still far too weak to awaken. He had complained when he first got here, but even his teacher said there was nothing he could do. Her true soul had weakened, and only time, or a god specializing in soul magic, could ever have a chance to remedy that. Closing the locket again, he sat up, resolved, and entered meditation. Seeing his progress in levels, he still felt unsatisfied. Status. Name, Casper Morsica. Race, Risen Human, E, Level 39. Class, Cursed Trapper, Level 34. Profession, Promising Dungeon Engineer, Level 45. After becoming undead, his class and profession had both remained the same. His profession had, of course, evolved since then. To go from human into a risen human brought far fewer changes than one would expect, but it did bring some, as was evident from his slightly changed race description. Risen human, E, a human that has become undead, Arisen from one of the most numerous races of the multiverse, the risen human is known as one of the most balanced races of the multiverse, able to walk many different roads on their path to power. Stat bonuses, plus two to all stats, plus seven free points per level. It was very much the same, but one big difference was that it gave plus seven free points, and not the same plus five as before. This was not due to risen human being a better race, but due to what had happened to his stats. Most had remained the same. Strength, agility, toughness, wisdom, intelligence, perception, and willpower were all the same and unchanged from before. But two stats were gone. Endurance and vitality had disappeared from his status screen along with their associated resource pools, health points, and stamina. 
Instead, he had gained a new stat called Spirit. It served the same function and had generated a single resource called Spirit Points. This meant that he now only had two resources to work with, Mana and Spirit. It was a bit weird, with Spirit Points serving as a resource for physical attacks and healing the body when damaged. This was alleviated quite a bit by the resource typically being way higher than both health and stamina. In fact, when he had evolved, all of his vitality and endurance had merged into spirit, making it his highest stat by a large margin back then. His class also provided quite a bit of spirit. Before it had given two endurance and one vitality, but now just gave three spirit. Cursed Trapper A trapper not satisfied with merely inflicting death on their foes, but utterly destroying them before allowing them to perish. A class focused primarily on trapping and curses, the Cursed Trapper prefers indirect combat with few options if confronted directly, primarily stemming from his origin as an archer. May you unleash your curse upon the world and afflict them with the pain that is your existence. Stat bonuses per level, plus three willpower, plus three spirit, plus two intelligence, plus two wisdom, plus two perception, plus two agility, plus one strength, plus two free points. Tasper had gained this class during the tumultuous experience that was the tutorial. When his emotions had been at their highest and he'd cursed the world, the system had answered. It had allowed him to turn his feelings into power, channeled through his will. It was a class that was far more magic than the traps of an archer, relying on cursed scripts upon his traps, his emotions given form as he created traps. The curses were seeking to kill, torment, or trap those they hit. Now he had shifted it even more, so he was closer to just being a full-on caster. Back in the tutorial, he had chosen to become a builder to make traps better. The two had great synergy, and one could believe that synergy would be lost upon shifting to more magical traps, but that assumption would be wrong. Promising Dungeon Engineer A builder now seeking to create his own little world, this profession focuses on the creation, development, and maintenance of dungeons. While you are still early on your path, and it is far too early to make a dungeon of your own, you have already shown great promise. While the dungeon engineer is primarily focused on dungeons, it does not mean that he has lost all his skills in shaping the world outside. May your ingenious creations shape the world to your liking. Stat bonuses per level, plus four wisdom, plus three willpower, plus two intelligence, plus two spirit, plus three free points. The profession carried many implications. First of all, the fact that mortals and gods alike could create dungeons. Of course, there was a vast difference between real and false dungeons. A real dungeon required a dungeon core that could only be gained through the system, and they were the only dungeons that awarded titles upon completion. False dungeons were, in essence, just some spaces created by a powerful individual. Some scholars would compare it to the gods' divine realms, and while the comparison was not exactly accurate, it did get the point across. It was a world created by people. Currently, Casper was far from creating anything close to even a false dungeon, much less a real one, but he could help maintain and develop existing ones. More importantly, he could learn the complicated manuscripts behind the creation of these dungeons, a language of the system not that different from the programming languages of old. If you ignored how it was infinitely more complicated and magical, that is, with it, you could execute commands to bend reality itself if you were powerful enough and had the energy required with that language. A finished manuscript would often come out in the form of a magic circle, a complete executable package of manuscripts, if he used the technical terms. 
Having worked in research and development before the system as a software engineer, Dasper was naturally inclined towards this profession. It was certainly very different from what he'd done before, however, many of the core tenets still applied, such as the required attention to detail and the ability to focus on what many would consider boring for extended periods. He was still learning, but he felt like he was progressing. His teacher was, without a doubt, paramount in making that a reality. In combat, Dasper wouldn't call himself that powerful for his level, unless you allowed him to set up. After resting for a while, he got up, grabbed his prepared bag, and set out to another teleportation circle that swiftly whisked him away to another location. When his vision stabilized after teleporting, he saw a vast jumble before him. He was in a camp surrounded by tall walls, with guards and young hopefuls milling about, trying to assemble parties to go hunt or acquire resources. Smiths, alchemists, leather workers, and many more professions tried to trade their creations for materials to keep leveling. Tasper didn't need anything as he exited the gates and into the jungle. One of the guards tried to stop him, but didn't when he saw the insignia on his chest, the one on the badge given by his teacher. After he found a good spot, he set up his traps. Runic circles appeared on the ground as he waved his hands. Black spikes with intricate carvings all over them were embedded into the ground or nearby trees. He had prepared for this hunt for the last three days and needed it to be fruitful. After setting up, he took out a foldable bow from the bag he had been carrying with all the other materials. It wasn't to be used for actual damage, but to attract prey. He had set up in a relatively isolated valley with only a single entrance and exit. From the bag he took out a lockbox that he opened to reveal a small fruit. He could smell the attractive manna from it and knew that the many undead beasts roaming this jungle could too. Five minutes later a large ape-like creature emerged at the entrance to the valley. Undead Petrum Ape, level unknown. Casper frowned a bit as he couldn't identify it, but swiftly activated one of the scripts he had made at the valley entrance. Undead Petrum Ape, level 68. He sighed when it revealed the level not to be too high. It was a simple identification script that any sapient creature would innately resist, but wouldn't even be registered by a dumb undead ape. Perfect for this kind of situation. And while the ape was dumb, it wasn't dumb enough to just wander all the way into the valley. It stood at the entrance, looking suspiciously around. Gasper stood hidden behind some rocks, but felt like it was time to reveal himself. Stepping out, he got its attention as he started charging a power shot, the only offensive archer skill he still had. The beast just stared back at him as he slowly built up the spirit in his body. Seven seconds later, his maximum charge time, he released the shot and hit the ape in the chest. It did little more than anger the beast, but it was enough. What he had fired wasn't an arrow, however, but a small black spike. It dealt negligible damage after it entered. More importantly, it released an intense wave of pain directly into the beast's soul. It roared in pain, a roar that soon turns to one of fury. With reckless abandon it charged into the valley, and just as it got to the middle, the valley came alive. Two minutes later, Casper walked out, his clothes torn and his body slightly damaged, and two class levels wealthier. He only had materials for one more trap of that level, so he swiftly got to work. The next trap only earned him a single class level, but it was fine for the nine or so hours he had been out. 
Returning to the complex, he went to bed and slept till the next day, when he had another lesson. That was how his days continued as the end of the tutorial came closer and closer. Training by himself, sessions with his teacher, occasional useless meetings, and solo hunts where he could put all he had learned to the test against powerful undead beasts. However, one day something changed. A few days remained until the tutorial concluded, and Casper had a lesson with his teacher, as always. He was practicing mana stabilization, one of the things he struggled most with. Your power to impose emotions into your manuscript makes it potent but impulsive and unstable. You need to use your heart for power and your mind for stability. Only through reaching a proper equilibrium can you achieve your full potential. Yes, like that. Use parts of your focus to freeze in place the framework and... Yet suddenly his teacher stopped. The mana in the room stopped flowing, and Casper at first thought it was another test. Until he looked up and saw his teacher completely frozen in place. Before Casper could open his mouth, everything shifted. He felt like he was ripped through space and time as he felt his body unravel. He wanted to scream, but just when he thought he would cease to exist, he suddenly had solid ground beneath his feet. He barely managed to raise his eyes before he felt his knees buckle, and he fell to his knees involuntarily. His eyes trained on the ground as he failed to raise his head. An aura unlike anything he could even imagine pressed down on him. A sense of reverence and inferiority dominated his entire being. This sure has become a mess, he heard someone say, their voice soothing yet domineering. A simple request to assist in an experiment turned to all this. Truly peculiar, that friend of yours. Velastromos brought back, prophecies broken and fate tangle. A web of karma spun, where you shall be my connection. Tell me, mortal, will you serve? Casper didn't understand what was going on, yet he couldn't, wouldn't refuse. Yes. Good. You may raise your gaze. The newly risen human raised his eyes and saw the figure that sat on the throne before him, an elven-looking man with long, white, almost ethereal hair and purple eyes that pulsed with unfathomable power. He wore a simple robe, and on each of his fingers was a shining ring, all at a grade above anything Casper could even imagine. But what happened next made the otherwise taciturn Casper speak up. He felt the locket around his neck disappear. What? That's... I know, the elven man said, not allowing Casper to utter any sounds. The source of the pact you made a foolish wish by a mortal to overturn the absolutism of death. Yet you accepted only to see it paused, a broken soul, all you were given, one that may never awaken. Tell me, do you wish to see her again? Casper tried to answer, but found that he couldn't speak, so he did all he could as he nodded enthusiastically. He didn't know who the figure before him was, but he felt that it had to be a god. His teacher had said that only a god who specialized in soul magic would ever have a chance to heal her soul. Could this be one such god? Very well, he said, holding the locket in his hand for a brief moment before he waved his hand, returning it to Casper's neck once more. Now go, return to your will with my blessing. Be my messenger and my connection. I believe your planet would become a very 
interesting place. With that, Gasper found himself back in the spire of his teacher like nothing had ever happened. To follow the flow of the atmospheric manna to... to... His teacher paused and stood dumbfounded, staring at Casper. No, not at his student, but the locket around his neck. Lyra's locket, legendary, a locket created to house the soul of a single mortal. Touched by the Blight Father, the soul has gained strength, and the locket has become a phylactery for her soul. Yet the locket is also bound to you for eternity. Your life and death are now forever intertwined. Through the will of the Blight Father, the locket has also gained the ability to store additional souls and serve as spatial storage. Requirements, soul-bound. The young undead didn't even look at his teacher, but instead rushed to open the locket. Within, he saw the sleeping face of his beloved, who opened her eyes. Casper? Chapter 42 Records Hey, guides, what now? Is there really no way to leave here? Jake asked the vaguely human-like creature that the system had conjured. You have been offered four invitations from gods who are willing to receive you. If you accept, you will be able to go to them for the remaining time. That was an option? And what gods? He knew one of them, but was interested in the three others. First, the main contributor to the tutorial you have just finished, Karok. He has offered you an invitation to his realm and the potential to receive his blessing and guidance. Secondly, the god Amra. She has offered you the opportunity to join her court and receive training to better use your high affinity for dark mana and the guarantee of a blessing and high position in the court if you perform well and wish for them. Third is the god Gwyndir. He has offered his blessing and the possibility to acquire his legacy which revolves around archery and the concept of fire. He has also guaranteed his blessing, as well as training and guidance. Fourth is the one known as the Malefic Viper. He has offered you a cool-ass time-warped training session in alchemy, as well as a bottle of vodka. Do note that all offers are binding for the gods. Well, can't say no to that last one. Jake smiled. He was still quite interested in the other three gods, as he had only heard the name Umbra before from his bracers and, of course, his shadow vault of Umbra's skill. Sure, they would offer stuff, but he could only have one blessing, so he wasn't really interested. He also didn't feel like meeting a bunch of people he didn't know. Jake remembered going to parties where he didn't know anyone but one or two, and that seriously sucked. Yeah, fuck that. I accept the invitation from the Malefic Viper. How do I go there? A few seconds passed, then a doorway suddenly appeared, leading into a room Jake had seen that time he accidentally sent a part of his soul to the Viper. Well, that was easy enough. Looking at the guide, he still wondered what the hell it actually was. A personification of the system? Or perhaps something else? Maybe he would never really know. Venetrip, see you around. If your path takes you. The guide's voice, appearance, and demeanor were all the same as the first time Jake had appeared in this realm more than two months ago. It hadn't changed. Jake was the one who had changed. 
No longer was he in formal wear, with his shined black shoes and hair combed back. Now his hair had grown out to cover his ears and was unkempt. His shiny shoes had been changed out for old worn boots, and the rest of his outfit was a collection of fur and leather, all covered by a cloak and even a mask. The only thing similar was the color scheme, as he'd also worn quite a lot of black before. But his looks weren't the only thing that had changed. Jake had experienced a lot over the brief period, and he had learned a lot about himself. He had, of course, gotten significantly stronger and developed his skills in combat. He had often been close to death, his encounter with the king of the forest likely being the most immediate. It had been his biggest crisis, but at the same time his most significant achievement. The day he killed the den mother, he'd set the goal of killing the king of the forest for himself. A goal he had now met. When he heard the congratulations for passing the tutorial, it had truly seeped in. He had succeeded. He'd won. It was a lofty goal to begin with, and yet he had managed to sneak out a narrow victory at the end. Most other humans who had experienced the tutorial likely saw it as the worst thing they had ever experienced. For Jake, it also hadn't been a cakewalk. He had lost nearly all his colleagues, suffered emotionally and physically, and was in a constant rush to fight and grow stronger. And yet, it was fun. Jake had genuinely enjoyed his time in the tutorial. The constant tension and danger, the always looming knowledge that there was more to see and more to experience. And naturally, there was the challenge. Jake loved a good challenge. No challenge was more exciting than one with your life on the line. Now it was time to move forward. Jake stepped through the door with a satisfied smile hanging on his lips, already looking forward to whatever came next. Your senses are adequate, but your movement's too stiff. Don't think, react, the Grandmaster said as he admonished the black and blue Bertram sitting on the floor. He had just finished getting another beating. How long had it been so far? Two weeks, maybe? Bertram wasn't sure. He still had a hard time comprehending how time could somehow move slower in this chamber than just outside the door. The Grand Master had explained that it was through a formation put down by an A-rank High Inquisitor, but that was about it. The rest of the time had been spent training, learning how to fight with his sword and shield properly. Bertram had already learned to fight and thought himself competent with both a knife as well as a gun. But he had to admit that he hadn't rigorously ever practiced swords, much less shields, before the tutorial. On top of that, the man in front of him was just on an entirely different level. Every one of his movements was exquisite, every step calculated to the smallest detail. Despite him lowering his stats to the same level as Bertram himself, the bodyguard hadn't managed to touch his clothes, much less land a blow. He was still unsure how powerful the man was, but he couldn't be some lowly soldier having achieved the title of Grandmaster. He was the leader of an order of Templars directly below one of the subordinate gods in the Holy Pantheon. Bertram had asked if the man couldn't simply follow them back to Earth, something he had gotten a solid negative answer to. The system didn't allow other universes to interfere in newly initiated universes. When Bertram asked to inquire further, he was told to pick up his sword and stop thinking about things above his station. He was a bodyguard, after all. Or perhaps guardian would be more accurate now. That responsibility was the only constant in his life, a constant he would hold on to no matter what happened. He would follow the young master no matter what he decided to do, be he a devil or a saint. It was not for him to judge.
He was just his silent guardian. Well, mostly silent guardian. Just outside the chamber and down the hall was his young master studying a large tome. Jacob had spent the majority of his time waiting for his return to earth reading. His class had many benefits, one of them being his requirements to level. Unlike nearly all others, he would get nothing from killing. Instead, the mere act of acquiring information on his faith, as well as just expanding his knowledge, helped. He had already read that other classes could level without fighting, but most still revolved around it. To him, it was very different. For him to be involved in taking lives would be penalized. It would hurt his future potential as an augur, and if he went astray, it could end badly. Jacob was also strictly aware of exactly how heavy these penalties would be. If he ever killed a single enlightened being, he would lose his class and many of his skills. A warrior could level not just by slaying enemies, but also by practicing with his sword and improving his skills. Needless to say, however, it was much slower. Slower, but infinitely safer. However, it wasn't a sustainable way of improving your strength with a combat-focused skill. At some point, you would stagnate. You would be unable to level up further. Even going out slaying beasts at that point wouldn't necessarily grant a level. Jacob had come to learn that despite his, and most likely most others' assumptions, the system wasn't as much like a video game as he sometimes assumed. The largest difference was, without a doubt, the entire concept of records. Jacob knew it was his translation of it, and it held many names, but all boiled down to the same thing in the end. Like the Akashic records that the translation was based on, it was a collection of everything, of all that had ever happened, and in some ways also all that would happen. A warrior going out fighting would write upon these records. Every single thing in the system carried within them a collection of their own records, their own accomplishments, failures, and successes. Each person had their own story, and the records described their path. That was where the impact on leveling came in. One needed to have sufficient records to be able to level up. One could liken one's records to being a pond, with experience points being the water filling it up. Records would expand the pond, but not just any records. They had to be noticeable. Fighting beasts weaker than yourself, training to level, or being taught by others would grant experience to fill the pond, but wouldn't help expand the pond at all. One would fill it out at some point, and something drastic would be required to develop it. Simultaneously, if one repeatedly risked their own life and fought beasts at the same level or stronger, one would expand their pond at the same pace or faster as the experience was earned. One would be able to keep leveling like that, but of course it also came with a constant risk to their life. In the same vein, crafters had to push themselves too. The non-combat professions and classes had to go beyond their comfort zones and strive to improve themselves. Craft items of higher rarity or greater difficulty, maybe even craft different things, use more expensive materials, and never stagnate. Yet this method wasn't foolproof. One other major obstacle for leveling was one all faced, rank upgrades or evolutions as they were also called. Ranking up from E to D tier or D to C tier wasn't simply expanding the pond, it was a renovation, one that required far more records than just the ones needed to be able to keep leveling normally. Rank upgrades would more often than not mean a bottleneck, one most would never overcome. Moreover, sometimes even sufficient records weren't the only requirement for ranking up. But how did one earn enough records then? Jacob found several surefire methods recorded, the largest of them being titles. 
As a newly initiated human, Jacob had assumed the most substantial reward from titles was the actual title and their associated bonuses. But many, especially those of higher rank, would disagree. The most considerable reward from a title was the associated records. A title was clear proof of achievement. This wasn't to say that all titles were hard to earn, but all of them indisputably added records of quality. The easy titles that could be achieved even with little effort were often gained through standard leveling, making them just another part of normal progression. Records didn't only limit when you could level and rank up, but also what you could gain from it, the skills, classes, professions, races, etc. available. All of it came together to give you options. Despite the system seemingly being limited through records, it still emphasized options, and the more powerful one became, the more records of quality one had, the more options, better options. Often there was a snowball effect to having strong records early and getting a great class and or profession at E rank, or even race for monsters. That wasn't to say that getting a worse class or profession would be the end, though. The stronger your base, the more was required for you to move forward. Complacency would still mean the end of your path, while one who started out weak could become strong through perseverance. Sometimes slow and steady wins the race. The book did, however, say that the destiny of everyone wasn't to fight. Sometimes one had to accept one's situation, and instead of pushing themselves to improve, trying to help those around them, that sometimes one reached the end of their path and had to realize that and effectively give up. There was also the entire thing called concepts. Concepts, nomological laws, Tao, laws of nature, the essence of the world. It all had many names, but ultimately it boiled down to comprehending the incomprehensible, to understand that which cannot be truly understood. Many powerful skills found themselves rooted in concepts. Jacob knew that his own skills did so too. His divination was firmly rooted in the concept of divination itself, and if he managed to understand that concept better, so would his skill improve. Like a swordsman enhancing his skills with a sword, albeit countless times more complicated, it quickly became clear through reading, however, that concepts were something that often would come naturally, something more easily accessed and understood as stats and ranks increased. Concepts could easily be explained with them being the why something is. Some focused on learning these concepts and gaining power that way, but it wasn't strictly necessary. It was just one path of many. They also were closely tied to affinities and mana as a whole, but to understand that tie-in and relationship was a concept in itself. Honestly, it all felt more complicated than Jacob had the brain power to really get into. To sum it all up, records were the collection of who you are and the potential you possess, an impossible thing to truly quantify, affected by countless factors, titles, achievements, concepts, affinities, bloodlines, innate talent, destiny, karma, personality, actions, thoughts, history, desires, emotions, comprehension, and countless other things constituted the sum of your records and those records would be what determined your path of progression going forward. Jacob himself was a great example of how weird records were to understand. He had gotten the class Augur of Hope, a special class that was both rare and powerful in so many ways. Yet Jacob had no idea how he had gotten it. It just had. Maybe he had just been lucky, or perhaps the system knew things Jacob himself didn't yet. Another concept that often occurred. Just based on that class, he could go far. The Grand Master had said that he shouldn't experience any bottlenecks for quite a while, 
as long as he kept true to himself and his own path, whatever that meant. He knew that the new initiates were in a bit of a different situation than most. The history upon their records was short. There was barely anything to them, which meant that everything written upon the records after formation would matter far more in the early days. This was why so many could more easily get rare classes and professions. The requirements were lower, since you didn't have as much baggage to drag along. It would smooth out relatively soon, but it did mean that the new initiates had some inherent advantages if they pushed themselves here to begin with. For now, at least. Through his research he had also learned a lot about the nature of gods. More accurately, why they seemed to be so involved in the tutorial and why they gave out blessings and such. Unsurprisingly, it all had to do with records. To improve one's records was something every single entity in the multiverse wanted, from the lowest of F-grades to the most powerful of gods. But for a god to do so was problematic. Often they had to do so by either achieving something new, or through their believers, or through the last big way to get records, events. And no event was more significant than the initiation of a new universe. Through that, gods could gain new believers, of course, but they could also help shape the new universe and the new people in it. Doing so would help their records immensely. There were even some more tangible rewards set by the system, such as titles or opportunities. Rewards were all based on how well individuals performed in so-called sponsored tutorials. Jacob had been unable to read further into it from there, likely due to the gods censoring the knowledge, or perhaps just distorting it. However, what he did learn was the importance of blessings for both the god and the ones receiving them. A blessed individual would contribute records to the god that had blessed them based on everything they did. Simultaneously, the blessed one was granted quality records through the blessing, effectively making them stronger and raising their potential. It was a win-win in many ways. However, Jacob had suspicions that it wasn't all as flowery as the books made it out to be. He knew that what he read was all written by the Holy Church. A lot of it was likely easily provable and obvious to those that lived in the system, but many details weren't. It was the knowledge he guessed was only privy to the gods or those of higher ranks, or perhaps for one to discover oneself. Of course, it was also possible that even the mightiest of gods didn't truly understand the system either. Chapter 43 A Godlike Getaway Jake stepped through the door into the bedroom that he remembered belonging to the Viper. He had barely entered the room before a loud popping noise was heard along with a party horn? Congratulations! In front of him stood the legendary god known as the Malefic Viper, who wore a small party hat and had a horn in his mouth. Beside him was an old-looking man with a big white beard, messy clothes, and overall unkempt appearance. Except for his headwear, he too wore a party hat, though he seemed less than amused at the entire ordeal, and Jake would bet his entire potion stash on the viper having forced him to wear it. Thanks, I guess, Jake managed to answer, still bewildered by the beaming viper and the bored old man. The old man was plump, if not outright obese, and looked like he hadn't taken a shower for months. Yet the most noticeable things about him were his sharp eyes and the faint aroma of soil around him. Looking at him, Jake also instantly knew that this man was a god. He didn't know how he knew, he just did. Perhaps it was the aura. Man, that finale in the tutorial was great, the viper said. St 
straight up burn your entire damned soul to punch him harder. If not for how absolutely suicidal that was, I would want to see it again. He slapped the back of the old man. This right here is Duskleaf, my true-to-me disciple. Taught the kid alchemy from when he was a wee lad. When it comes to alchemy, he isn't bad at all, I tell you. Still new to this, but anyone who can become a god can't suck, I guess, Jake answered. Nice to meet you. Name's Jake. <clears throat> that was all the answer he got from the old man, who still looked like he really didn't want to be there, which he likely didn't, but Jake had the faint feeling that the malefic viper could be quite persuasive. Oh, come on, why so gloomy? Isn't this great? Just three buddies chilling, the viper said, still slapping the bored old man on the back. A bit harder this time. With a grunt, the old man said in a weirdly neat voice that didn't suit him at all, You said you would actually teach me something. I did, and I will, the scaled god answered. We are still gonna do alchemy, no worries. We just have another participant. The more the merrier and all that. I feel like I am intruding in the middle of something here, Jake said. You aren't. Yes, you are, Duskleaf cut in. Jake could only inwardly chuckle at the two. Without a doubt, they had developed their own little dynamic over the eternity they had known each other. If it's any consolation, I am pretty sure I am only allowed to stay a couple of days before I am whizzed off back to Earth, Jake said, or whatever the planet has become. I know. That is why we are in a hurry. Come on, now, to the lab, the viper yelled as he began marching out the room. Duskleaf, knowing arguing would be useless, simply followed, with Jake also trailing along. They walked at a brisk yet relaxed pace. Jake failed to hold back his curiosity. You said that you could provide information on the circumstances of my family during the tutorial rewards thingy. Yeah, but none now. We're going to go over all that stuff shortly before you return. Trust me, we've got more time than you think. All right, I guess. By the way, did you know three other gods had also given out invitations for me to come and meet them? Nah. Who were they? I guess one was the tutorial's main sponsor, whoever that is, but who are the other two? The shrouds should make it impossible for most even to know you exist. The viper had a hint of surprise in his voice, something that also got a raised eyebrow out of Duskleaf. The main contributor, or sponsor, I guess, was a guy named Karok. The other two were Umbra and Gwyndir. I see. Umbra is a bit alarming, though unsurprising. Gwyndir isn't that unexpected either, but I must say I am not really that familiar with Karak. To answer, Master, Karak is a god from the 89th era, Duskleaf interjected, answering both Dake and the Viper. As a mortal, he was a beast-tamer and commanded an army of beasts. He is just a rogue god, and all in all he isn't very impressive. Jake knew from prior conversations with the Viper that an era was when a universe was the newest one integrated. In other words, if one was born during the 89th era, it meant that the 89th universe was the most recent universe within the multiverse. Currently, the multiverse had just entered the 93rd era, with Jake's own universe's integration. What about Gwyndir and Umbra? 
Jake asked, addressing both Duskleaf and the Viper. Gwyndia is a god from the Seventh Era, Duskleaf said, leader of the Crimson Flame, a collection of powerful gods who have assembled, all focused on the concept of fire. As a mortal, he was an archer, most notable for having killed a god before achieving godhood himself. In other words, he isn't a god to be belittled. He is old and powerful. Umbra is an old acquaintance of mine, the viper said. She came to be during the Second Era. She is strong and, in the concept of shadows and dark mana in general, has skills that I second to none. On top of that, she has an organization known as the Court of Shadows. Assassins, for the most part, and feared by mortals and gods alike. If you want someone dead, are filthy rich and got enough leeway, they are the ones you go to, whether the target is god or mortal. Yeah, all right. Sounds impressive, I guess, Jake answered, not knowing even half of what the fuck they were talking about. He did find one thing very interesting, however. You call some of the gods strong and weak. How exactly does godhood work? Honestly, just like mortals in most ways, the viper answered. Some are strong, while some are weak. It's just more complicated than mortals. Just know that the mean divide lies exactly in that word, mortal. To become a god is to become immortal. So who is stronger, you, Gwendir, or Umbra? Jake asked, a bit teasingly. Good question. Hard to know without fighting it out. Though if I had to answer, well, Gwyndir would be annoying. I can't see myself losing. A bit of the same with Umbra, but I would put her a little higher than Gwyndir. The thing with the gods is that a lot of our strengths are conditional. To fight any god within their own realm is pretty stupid unless you're far more powerful than them. And even if you fight on neutral ground, there is a lot of difference between beating someone and killing them. Gods are notoriously hard to put down. Considering the answer a bit, Jake inquired further. Is Umbra primordial too? Actually, what even is a primordial? A rank of god or something? Nah, she isn't. Primordial is not a rank, but a title. It doesn't really have anything to do with strength. The title is for becoming a god during the first era, before the integration of the second universe. In other words, to be among the first gods. Going out on a limb here, assuming that any god who was among the first are considered strong, how many of you are there? First of all, good assumption, there are twelve of us in total, not a single one of us weak. Not to brag... Actually, fuck that, a full-on brag. Becoming a god during the first era was fucking brutal. There weren't any gods to guide you. No one knew what the fuck was going on. The system was still new and very different from today, far simpler. No tutorials, no stores, just killing and getting stronger. For even twelve of us to emerge was a goddamn unintended miracle. And anyone who can bring about such a miracle is strong. Damn, so you twelve are the strongest around. It sounds like I hit the jackpot with my profession, Jake half-jokingly said. He was still processing what he had just heard, trying to relate to how it was back then. 
That wouldn't be very accurate. While we were the first, that doesn't mean we are the strongest by default. A long as time has passed since the first era, and there are now more gods than ever. Many extremely strong ones among them. Umbra and Gwindy are in that batch. The malefic viper explained all of this patiently. Duskleaf was just silently wandering by their side, not showing any intentions of adding anything. Exactly how many gods are there? Jake asked. Hell, if I know, there were twelve during the first era, as I said, and that was, of course, the era with the least amount. After that, it has only escalated exponentially. Think about it. Just because the second era begins doesn't mean that the first multiverse stops producing gods. By the end of the second era, there were around three hundred gods, while we were into the thousands by the end of the third one. That isn't to say that it just kept growing. Then it'd be clear that even with it being easier to become a god, it sure as hell is never easy. Any god, no matter who, is an extreme talent. This was also about the time we began really seeing gods even die. With the guidance of the prior generations, becoming a god became more manageable, but it also meant that the quality fell. That is pretty much how it still is today, with each era having more and more gods, with the overall quality falling. Which isn't to say we don't have standouts still. The 92nd era, the one just before your universe, had a yip of yore, a fucking lunatic of major proportions, who killed half a pantheon the second he became a god himself. And from what I've heard, he hasn't stopped being batshit crazy since. That is a lot to take in, Jake said, after listening to the Viper's lengthy exposition. He felt more than a little lucky that he had his own source of direct information on the world of gods. From how the tutorial apparently had sponsors and how blessings and all that worked, he had a solid feeling that gods were an essential part of the multiverse. And as a former financial analyst, Jake was sure that the more data, the better. Wait, didn't you say that Eversmile guy is also a primordial? Yep, but enough of that. We are here. They stood before a big door that appeared to be made of some kind of dark metal. On it were countless glowing runes, and Jake felt himself getting a headache just looking at it. What is here? he asked, averting his gaze from the door. The viper didn't answer, but instead opened the door and led him and Duskleaf into the chamber. Entering, Jake found himself in a big room with a big table and chairs, with not much else around, except for dozens of doorways leading into other rooms. He could see into those rooms with his sphere, and noted that most of them just had a pillow placed on the floor. However, two of them were full-on alchemy labs, with more tools and equipment than Jake had ever seen. Before he could ask about it, the viper spoke once more. As you know, we are pressed for time, so I thought, why not just get some more time? This is a time chamber. Think of it like in that movie, Interstellar. Time spent within this room is slower than the time out here. Seriously? Pretty sure this isn't Dragon Ball. Actually, that would be a more accurate reference. Good catch. Anyway, we can slow time, but the magnitude is dependent on you. How so? How high can it go? 
Jake's imagination was already beginning to run wild. Could he spend years here, maybe even reach D grade before returning to Earth? Higher than you can handle. Time distortion isn't all happy times and sunshine. It negatively affects a lot of things, including experience gain. Learning concepts, well, except for the concept of time, is also way harder, if not outright impossible. You also can't do it too much, or it negatively affects your records. Finally, the degree to which you can bend time is dependent on the ones affected. In other words, I am too weak to handle it, Jake stated, which just earned him a nod from both the Viper and Duskleaf. Well, let's stop wasting time, the Malefic Viper said. I am going to activate the formation, and time will begin to slow down within the chamber. Be warned that it will feel weird as fuck, and speak up if you start getting too disoriented. The first time can be tough. Without any further delay, he picked up a weird crystal from the table and channeled mana into it. Instantly, Jake felt a shift like everything turned murky, yet didn't. It was an oddly disconnected feeling, as though it wasn't really happening to him, but someone else. Yet the feeling disappeared just as fast as it came while he tried to make himself used to it. Just as he became grounded once more, the time distortion got worse. Jake had closed his eyes at this point, just taking it all in. It felt very similar to when his moment of the primal hunter activated, actually. However, those times were often too brief and too intense to really reflect on. Jake had some understandings of time and relativity theory from his school days, but experiencing it like this likely wasn't what his teacher had imagined. The notion that time moved at an entirely different pace, just ten steps away outside the door, was unsettling and incredibly interesting at the same time. As the seconds ticked by, the feeling changed from weird to pressuring. Jake felt like a huge weight was pushing down on him, at the first sign of pain, he opened his eyes and asked, a bit worried, Is it supposed to hurt? My body feels like small needles are pricking everywhere. He had expected a fast answer, but instead he saw the viper and Duskleaf just stare at him for a while. After the two exchanged a quick glance, the viper answered, It means that your body, or more accurately, your soul, has reached its limit. He scratched the back of his head. Did you pick up a skill related to chronomancy or something like that as a reward for the tutorial? No, Jake said, a bit confused. I only picked two skills, and none of them had anything to do with time magic as far as I can tell. I see. This may sound weird, but have you somehow ever experienced time distortion before? Not like this, but I have a skill, one related to that. He remembered not to mention his bloodline outright. While he didn't distrust Duskleaf, he didn't exactly know him either. I see. Moving on. Before Duskleaf, who clearly had questions, could open his mouth, the viper turned the time distortion down just enough for the prickling feeling to disappear. Now, follow me, the malefic viper said, as Jake heard a sound he hadn't expected. Music with a title related to the visual organ of a large felid began blaring from nowhere. Jake just looked at the viper with a resigned expression. Really? What? It's training montage time.
Chapter 44 Danger Bath The days passed by quickly as the two gods and one mortal immersed themselves in the laboratory. At first Duskleaf had been less than excited, to say the least. Jake had already guessed that the viper had forced him into it, and he was entirely correct. What he didn't know was that Duskleaf didn't like Jake himself, either. Why do I have to waste my time on this? was what the god thought in the beginning. Duskleaf was an alchemist. Period. He had always been an alchemist, and never cared much for anything else. He had mostly ignored his class, only leveling it sparingly whenever necessary. It was due to his extreme talent and dedication that he'd managed to ascend to godhood, a commitment he had believed Jake to lack. The old alchemist had believed Jake to be yet another of the young, talented fighters that had picked up alchemy as a side profession, a sentiment he well and truly hated. The alchemists of the malefic viper profession and its related evolution were among the most combat-focused of all alchemy professions. This had led many to simply pick it up for those reasons, even if they didn't care for alchemy itself. After the first day, however, he began to change his mind. He had seen Jake fight the king together with the viper, and from that had indeed formed the image of a talented fighter who was far more brawn than brain. Yet the young mortal dove into alchemy with the same zeal as he did a fight with a formidable opponent. His eyes burned with passion whenever he met a challenge, and his happiness was genuine whenever he overcame his own limitations. It was as if every brewing or concoction was a fight to the death. And that, that Duskleaf liked. Of course, all of it would be for naught if the kid was untalented, another doubt that quickly got dispelled. While Duskleaf found it hard to evaluate him properly, he did see endless potential. The issue was just how raw it all was. Despite his passion, it was clear that Jake had never had proper training in alchemy or mana control in general. But at the same time, his skills made it hard for Duskleaf to believe that he had only been in the system for a couple of months. When he learned that Jake had spent two of his five chances in the tutorial store to buy cauldrons, he truly got his seal of approval. Jake himself didn't have the faintest clue about the old man's thoughts. He had only noticed that he now appeared at least marginally less bored. The malefic viper was full of energy, as always, and he had to say he was having a damn good time. It was hard, but fun. The only downside was how little experience he got. After a week, he had only gained a single level in his profession, taking him to level 56. The leveling was incredibly slow, without a doubt, due to the time distortion going on. He had been warned about it, but it still stung. This isn't to say he didn't improve, because oh boy, did he improve. It turned out that having two gods giving pointers helped a lot. Their advice was minimal, as they mostly just told Jake to try something, and then observed, only giving general advice here and there. From what he had gathered, the viper didn't want to limit him in any way by giving him too clear of directions. He was very much a hands-off teacher. However, he did have many fun tests and challenges, his favorite by far being a particular cauldron. Practice Cauldron of the Malefic Viper, unknown, a cauldron with imprinted challenges and trials, his identify didn't give much, but he didn't really care either. The thing was awesome. It was like he was doing actual alchemy when using it, except it didn't use any ingredients, but focused solely on the crafting process itself. It was like simulating a brewing or concoction, and he loved it with all of his heart. Sadly, he learned that he couldn't bring it with him due to restrictions on new multiverses, 
a sad day indeed, but that only motivated him more to spend his time efficiently with it. Restrictions on him were actually quite far and wide. He couldn't get any items, and he couldn't use any consumable items that weren't his either, which meant he couldn't just get handed a bunch of elixirs and free stats. He had, however, learned that the viper was onto something in one of the side rooms. What looked like a jacuzzi was being filled with all types of herbs and poisons, with the god himself carrying a quite malicious smile. Eight days after he entered the chamber, Jake collapsed. Initially, he startled those outside until they found him merely asleep. Even with all his stats, Jake was, in the end, still on the E-grade. What was surprising, however, was Jake being so immersed in his practice that he simply collapsed. Second seal of approval earned from Duskleaf, as the old alchemist would later tell Jake about how he had once burnt off half his hair and melted off the right side of his face because he fell asleep during a concoction. Good times. Fifteen days in the chamber, and Jake earned his second level, taking him to fifty-seven. He had also learned that apparently 4D chess was a thing, or maybe they were just fucking with him, most likely the latter. Eighteen days in, and Jake collapsed for the second time while grinding out the trials in the cauldron. This time the old alchemist didn't even react, aside from nodding proudly at the young man bent face-first over the cauldron. On the twentieth day, the viper came out of his secret room with a larger-than-usual malefic smile. It is done. The trial of myriad poisons has been prepared. Master, the old alchemist said with a sigh, we are teaching him, not killing him. Even then, with the restriction in place, you know it won't work. Ah, but I am only giving out an already promised reward. Remember what I offered you, Jake? the malefic viper asked, still grinning. Alchemy training in alcohol, he answered. Exactly. So, follow me. Neither of them bothered to question the god as they followed him into the room. Within, there was a massive barrel of sorts, more than big enough to hold a human within. It was filled with a liquid that set his sense of the malefic viper off like never before. He could sense so many herbs and toxins it felt overwhelming. Thousands? No, more. Millions? What the hell is this? Jake thought. Now, what I offered was a bottle of vodka, to be more precise, the creator of the barrel said, as he pulled a bottle out of thin air. Not a bad brand, Jake Bailey managed to think, before the viper opened it and began pouring it into the barrel. Oh, no, I accidentally dropped it into this suspicious barrel. Well, it appears you will have to consume the entire thing to get your vodka. The viper's grin couldn't get any larger. Well, I am into experimental cocktails. I do have my limits, Jake managed to answer, after looking dumbstruck at the silly actions of the scaled god. Ah, but it will be good for you, I promise. The viper laughed for a bit, before turning serious. Cutting the bullshit, this thing is called a trial of myriad poisons. It is something that is sometimes offered to talented alchemists of the malefic order. Jake, do you know why my class is considered one of the best for alchemists? Membership discount? Dude, this is the first and only profession I have ever really seen. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the reason is, of course, because of the skills the most sought-after being my palate skill, a skill that is extremely strong even when first gotten and only gets better.
However, the main issue is how difficult it is to upgrade and evolve due to its nature. One needs to consume and become familiar with a lot of toxins, which is where the trial comes in. He slapped the big barrel with his scaled hand. This bad boy can fit so many fucking coxins in it. The alchemist can, through this, enhance the skill, even possibly its rarity, while so vastly increasing their innate knowledge of many different toxins and herbs, naturally, which is undoubtedly a huge help on their path. Of course, actually absorbing all of that isn't easy, hence why it is considered a trial. Jake looked between the barrel and the viper for a bit as he considered his words. It all seemed too good to be true. Isn't this just a straight-up cheat? Also, Pallet only worse with toxins last time I checked, and this thing has plenty of herbs within. Due to how the concoction is made, the herbs have become mixed with toxins and will be recognized as such by the system, so in that regard it is a bit of a cheat, Duskleaf muttered, clearly not a massive fan of the entire ordeal. For the first part, even by ignoring how ridiculously expensive and hard it is to make the trial, most alchemists fail to get anything worthwhile out of it. Most just die, actually. Also, it is often done with far more experienced alchemists. You have to actively absorb and digest the poison during the trial, while also managing to stay clear-headed. Miss, stop worrying. It'll be fine, the viper said dismissively, while gazing towards Jake. Besides, it's of to Jake. So, you are for it? Jake looked at the barrel a bit as he considered what both of the gods had said. Apparently this trial was both a great opportunity as well as risk. High risk, high reward, if you may. Just the way he liked it. Fuck it. Let's go. Knew it. Take off your guards and get ready. A fair warning, it will hurt like hell, and you will feel like your entire body is burning from the inside out the entire time, while simultaneously being eaten by maggots and on a pain-amplifying stimulant. But just focus on absorbing the toxins. The more you absorb, the larger your gains. How long will it take? Jake asked. He had no idea how long he had left within here. After entering, he had lost the timer and had no real concept of how much time had passed out in the real world. Once more, that depends on how long you can hold out for and how much you can absorb. But if you can't even hold out for a few hours, you suck, the viper half-jokingly said, while Jake disrobed. Disrobing here meant just putting all of his clothes into his spatial storage. The only things he kept on were his rings and necklace, as well as the mask. The rings and necklace because they were embedded in his body anyway, and the mask because he had completely forgotten he was even wearing it. I just jump in, he asked out loud to the room, earning an answer from Duskleaf. I would suggest stealing yourself first. It will take every shred of willpower you have to succeed. Got some free points. Would it hope to increase the stat? Jake asked. Shaking his head, the viper answered, I think I already told you this once. Willpower doesn't work that way. What my disciple means is to stay headstrong and determined. No number of stats can truly affect your mental state. 
Willpower helps defend against outside influences that can shatter or weaken that mental state, but it can never form it to begin with. No skills or stats would help a thing against a trial like this. All right, then, let's just jump right into it, Jake said, as he leaped up to stand at the edge of the barrel. He stared down at the black sludge below him. Didn't look particularly appetizing or healthy, but he had already decided to do it, and he wasn't a quitter. Here we go. Taking a step forward, he sank into the sludge, slowly getting immersed into it. The first thing he felt was his feet, feeling like they were on fire. Then next was his legs, and then his entire body as his head slowly sank beneath the surface. It honestly wasn't that bad, a thought he quickly came to regret. It took only a few moments before he saw the viper do something outside, making faint runes glow on the barrel. Around him he felt the toxins and herbs become active. Like they had all been sleeping before, they now awakened. The trial had begun. Jake felt the toxins around him slowly seek out his pores and every other opening in his body. Resistance was futile as they slowly entered him. As if he had been hit with thousands of needles at once, they entered his body. Then the real pain came. His teeth clenched shut to suppress a scream. Blood began flowing from his mouth as his teeth pressed down. A few teeth even ended up being cracked, but he couldn't feel it. The pain from that was trivial compared to what he experienced from the poison. Now that he wanted to scream, he failed as his entire body was paralyzed from the poison. He couldn't move and felt like he was locked within his own body. Like a worse kind of sleep paralysis, he couldn't do anything at all. Mentally gritting his teeth, he began focusing on his body and felt the many different poisons and herbs. He needed to not focus on the pain, no matter how hard it was. He needed to focus on all the energies in him, feel them, and absorb them. His senses slowly faded away until there was only his internal realm. The pain was a constant buzzing, knocking to try and shatter his feeble focus. He tried to concentrate on only his mana and internal energy. He distinctly felt a part of him grab onto the poison and absorb it, that part being the skill palette of the malefic viper. It did so at a disappointingly slow pace, however. For every unit absorbed, ten entered his body. He could feel his health dropping as his body began breaking down, yet he didn't feel any fear, only more focus. He slowly observed the process in which his skill made the toxins a part of him, observed and emulated. He focused on how it felt over some advanced analysis of the skill. It didn't take long for the process to get faster when he actively focused on it. Using his internal energy as a guide, he gathered the poison up to more easily absorb it. With every bit absorbed, he felt his understanding of what he consumed increase second by second. One would think that his use of mana and inner energy would decrease those resources, but it was quite the opposite. He felt oversaturated. With every consumed bit of energy, he was replenished. Some of the poison would restore his mana, some his stamina, and some his health. He had reached equilibrium as he focused on the process, trying to push the pain to the back of his mind. All went well for a while, until it didn't. Jake had a huge misunderstanding of the trial. Before, when the toxins were activated, it had only been a tiny part of it, a mere fraction of a fraction. With a glow of the barrel's runes, the second wave came, harder than the first. 
Nearly falling into delirium, he felt his mind waver for but a second until he steeled himself once more. It was a race, with the ever-increasing influx of energy competing against his capability to absorb it. It was a challenge that Jake didn't have the faintest intention of losing. Time passed, and outside the barrel the two gods stood observing the entire process. The viper had a stoic, neutral look on his face, and his glowing green eyes seemed to peer directly into the young mortal's body. The old alchemist wore a slightly worried look. Both could only choose to believe in the young man. Without Jake noticing, the first day of the trial quickly passed. Chapter 45 Second Part Many different organizations existed in the multiverse. Even if one took only the ones spanning across multiple universes, there were many. These organization structures and goals all varied widely. Their ideology and vision were all their own. Those with gods at the helm often had the beliefs of their god placed front and center. Some were more akin to churches and religions, while others were closer to companies. Yet even in those, the members held a deep respect and even faith for their godly leader. It all came down to respecting the powerful, and none were more powerful than the gods. For anyone to join these organizations, they had to offer something, the most basic, of course, being a place to belong, comrades to rely on, and protection from the myriad dangers of the multiverse. On top of that, they also provided status and social standing, making the high-ranking members respected, even if it wasn't for their own personal power. In other words, it allowed the weak to become strong through association. Other than that, it gave those less suited to combat a place to pursue their passions and talents. It gave those who fought a backdrop of support for all their needs, allowing them to focus on fighting and improving their own personal strength. A purely symbiotic relationship, allowing strong synergy between the two. One such organization that mainly had craftsmen was the Order of the Malefic Viper. Primarily an organization composed of alchemists, one would generally believe it to be weaker on the combat side of things, but to the contrary, it was quite the opposite. Despite its derelict condition upon initiation of the 93rd universe, none would dare look down on it. Even ignoring the possibility of the Viper himself appearing to defend it, it had a lot of power in itself. Even to the day before the Primordial's reappearance, it still easily recruited powerful experts because what the Order offered was one of the other significant benefits of an organization. Classes, and especially with the Order, professions. Alchemist of the Malefic Viper was, without a doubt, one of the most sought-after professions in the entirety of the multiverse due to the potent and influential skills it possessed, as well as its endless potential. Of course, being a member of an Order with some of the most talented alchemists to help you also didn't hurt. The association with the Primordial? Even less so. Of the desired skills, Palette of the Malefic Viper was front and center, a skill that was rare by default and only grew from there. Its growth path was also well documented and, once gained, presented a clear way to progress. Some skills came with clear paths of progression. Most didn't, but a minority did. For those with a clear path, it was often enough just to reach some kind of threshold of improvement or to familiarize yourself enough with the skill for its rarity to improve. Those without a clear path required some kind of qualitative change. Needless to say, this was far harder. 
This wasn't to say you couldn't change a skill with a clear path, making it diverge, but it was far rarer due to the difficulty. The skills with a clear path also naturally had an end to that clear path, a point that, when reached, would require a fundamental qualitative change to upgrade it further. This was where the exact endpoint of a skill's natural progression came into play. Gods powerful enough to have skills named after them were precisely that, powerful. In turn, so were their skills, making them carry strong potential inherently. But even then, it varied a lot. So, few weren't tempted when presented with a vast array of skills associated with the malefic viper. Jake, in his well-justified ignorance, of course, didn't know any of this. He didn't understand many things, and in some ways that lack of understanding had strength in itself. He wasn't aware of what he could do, nor what he couldn't or shouldn't be able to. This leads back to the current trial of myriad poisons. The first hour was deemed the most crucial for all those who attempted the trial. Except for a few hiccups right at the beginning, Jake passed that stage with flying colors. At the same time, however, Duskleaf noticed something that shouldn't be. Musta, what did you do to the concoction? Oh, I just added a little something extra, the viper answered, a deep smile on his lips. His eyes were fixated on the internal movements of the energies within Jake, and with every passing moment his smile only got deeper. Duskleaf looked between the viper and the barrel for a bit, before he realized. You didn't. I sure did. While creating the concoction, he had only made one minor change. A single small ingredient was added on top of everything else. A single drop of blood. His own. Master, we have to stop this, Duskleaf said with an anxious look on his face. He had no idea what the hell his master was thinking. There is no way he can handle it. I am well aware he's a progenitor, but the soul's vein alone will kill him. Even in the best-case scenario, it will do irreparable damage to his soul. Normally, I would agree with you, but I have a feeling it won't be so. Jake's soul is more powerful than you believe. He can handle it. If even the tiniest mistake is made... It will be fine. I haven't known Jake for that long, but if there is one thing I have come to learn, it's that he isn't one to back down from a challenge. I hope you are right, Duskleaf sighed, as he returned to being a silent observer. Either way, it wouldn't matter yet. It was far too early for him to reach the stage of the trial where the blood would be activated. He could only hope that the young human would fail before it reached that stage. The system was fair, yet tough. Like with earning experience and levels, one couldn't simply get a free ride. If one tried to go above their means and forcefully increase their strength, one would more often than not suffer from soul strain. Soul strain was when one's soul wasn't large enough to hold power put into it. If one used the metaphor Jacob had read, it was like pouring in insane amounts of contaminated water into the pond, hoping for it not to completely ruin the existing water, but be absorbed by the pond itself, making it into one's own. In other words, the records had to be strong enough. The most normal consequence of this going wrong was death. It was to have one's soul shatter, leaving only the indestructible true soul behind for the system to reclaim. Another consequence was for the soul to simply crack, resulting in lost stats, resources, skills, or even levels. Repairing a damaged soul was insanely demanding, and often resulted in irreparable damage anyway. 
Duskleaf had thought that the plan was to increase the rarity of Jake's skill all the way to epic rarity, or maybe even ancient rarity, if all went well. To pour in a decent amount of water, but not too much. This wouldn't be a problem at all. It would barely matter compared to the titles the human possessed. But what the viper attempted meant way more. He was forcefully injecting records into his soul through his own blood. Records of a primordial into a weak, E-grade mortal. Which meant he wasn't just pouring a lot of water into the pond, but also tossing in a dirty bomb. If his pond weren't criminally large and stable enough to absorb the impact, he would be... changed, the structure of his soul altered. Even if he somehow managed to absorb it into his body, Duskleaf couldn't see it ending well. Yet his master didn't appear to have the faintest doubt in his mind that the mortal could handle it. What had he missed? He knew that the mortal carried some secret. The mere fact that his master had blessed him with a divine skill to obscure him was enough to prove that. But could that secret really be enough for him to survive? What secret could a mortal that was newly initiated even hold? Duskleaf had his theories, but it was a fruitless endeavor with the multiverse and endless possibilities. Bloodlines, variant race, special class, or profession, just to mention the more common ones. The fact that the human already had a skill related to time made the old man believe it was maybe related to that concept. Had he somehow managed to attain a deep comprehension of the concept of time already? No, even that didn't make sense, considering his ignorance of the time dilation. As the old alchemist thought, time marched onward. Soon an entire day had ticked by. Jake, within the barrel, hadn't noticed any of this as he simply focused internally. Every shred of focus was unconsuming the energy to the point where he didn't even register anything from his passive sphere. A day quickly became two, and then three. Every few hours the runes on the barrel would shine, and more of the poison in the concoction would become active. Every time it did so, Jake would temporarily be attacked from all sides until he managed to stabilize once more. At the same time, he felt both his knowledge and general resistance to all the toxicity grow. He was slowly adapting. After three and a half days, he heard a small notification, but didn't have time to check it. Yet he instantly felt that his palate of the malefic viper had undergone an evolution, becoming epic rarity. With it also came a big leap in the skill's capabilities, and he felt many of the poisons in the barrel now no longer able to hurt, but only nourish him. It was a slight reprieve that was quickly outdone by a wave of assault stronger than any before. Jake's growth didn't mean it would get easier, just that the trial's speed increased to match it. It was a nearly unwinnable trial by design, a fact Jake didn't know, as he only saw it as a difficulty spike for him to yet again overcome. Four days soon passed, then five, six. Soon an entire week had gone by with Jake still immersed. Duskleaf was astonished by the young man's fast adaptability and nodded in approval every time he quickly managed to overcome a new wave. His speed was impressive, to say the least, and his ability to remain focused even more so. The ability to hold such singular focus was rare. On the eighth day, something happened that surprised both the viper and Duskleaf. The unmoving mortal appeared to smirk slightly as his closed lips parted somewhat, inhaling some of the concoction. Duskleaf opened his eyes in fright, while the viper just began laughing hysterically. It appeared that Jake found the speed of the trial too slow, something he indeed did. After the sixth day, 
He was already assimilating the toxins faster than the difficulty increased. It was starting to get boring, less challenging. He was a maestro in his internal realm, guiding the energies effortlessly. Every toxic shred of energy that entered him was surrounded and consumed from all sides before it even had time to begin attacking his vital energy, which is when he began eliminating what had paralyzed him, enough to open his mouth slightly at least. He wanted more, even if he had to take it by force. After he directly inhaled the concoction, he felt like his entire stomach was invaded by millions of small worms, all trying to eat him from the inside out. Through it all, the pain had never stopped. It wasn't the kind of pain one could simply zone out, but the type of pain that was all-consuming and impossible to ignore. Yet Jake handled it. Despite his brief grimace when the poison entered his stomach, he didn't lose focus as he began consuming that too. His mana moved in on it, carrying with it a powerful intent to break down and destroy the poison. What he hadn't noticed yet at this point were minuscule purple sparks appearing on his otherwise colorless mana. It was so unnoticeable that perhaps only the malefic viper noticed it. Yet the intent embedded in these sparks was evident as his mana broke down the poison faster and faster. His first mouthful was consumed within two hours, the second mouthful an hour and fifty-five minutes, the third an hour and forty-seven minutes, the fourth an hour and thirty-six minutes. He was exhausted from not sleeping, but he kept going, the energy nurturing him constantly and the pain enough to always keep him fully awake. Nine days passed, then ten, eleven, twelve. Barely an hour after the two-week mark, Jake heard the second notification. The growth was instantly apparent, and he felt himself fill with inner energy. Most of the poisons in his body now no longer appeared to affect him, and he even felt much of his mobility return as the paralysis was mostly gone. He directed a sliver of his attention to the sphere and observed the smiling viper and the, for some reason, worried duskleaf. Not long after, Jake heard a voice in his head as the viper spoke to him telepathically. Congratulations for passing the first part of the trial of myriad poisons. Ready for part two? Jake opened both his eyes, ignoring the burning sensation in them as he did so. He only managed to see the two for a few moments before his vision turned blurry due to the still potent toxins digging into his eyes. Yet he clearly saw the shining green eyes of the viper looking straight at him. The look in his eyes was clear. It was a challenge. He nodded his head as he prepared himself for whatever was to come. His intuition told him this part wouldn't be as easy, because he frankly did think the first part was easy. He'd managed to familiarize himself with the process within the first hour. At his approval, the viper's smile faded slightly as he turned a bit more serious. Just before he did whatever he was planning to do, Jake heard Duskly faintly mutter, There is no second face. Before Jake could process the words, the malefic viper raised his hand and pointed towards the barrel. From his finger came a green light that, upon hitting the runes, made them all turn green. At the same time they twisted and turned, creating new scripts, scripts of a far higher level than what was there before. Right after the runes changed, the liquid in the bowl changed from pure black to a dark green color. Mana in the entire chamber surged as an aura was released from the barrel, the aura of the malefic viper. Within the concoction was a small drop of dark green blood. It hadn't dispersed as a liquid normally would, but was still whole. 
No other toxic substance even dared come near it, as if a divine law kept them away. The drop stirred with the runes. Activated, it began releasing its aura, affecting the poison around it. Simultaneously, Jake was hit with another assault of toxins, one more powerful than ever before, one he managed to somehow withstand through sheer willpower and by channeling everything he had learned throughout the last two weeks. It didn't even take an hour before the assault ended. Jake felt a few seconds of solace as he consumed every last bit of poison, his sense of the malefic viper informing him that there were no more toxic substances in the entire concoction around him. He had won, or so he thought. While his sense of the malefic viper didn't pick it up, his danger sense sure did. A single drop of blood was still in the mixture. Before he could react, it flew like a bullet straight towards his chest and, without any resistance, penetrated his skin, sinking deep into his very soul. That was when the actual second part of the trial began. Chapter 46 Embracing Power Jake couldn't quite comprehend what had just happened to him. His consciousness shifted, and he suddenly felt himself being transported somewhere else. What made it hard to understand was that he could clearly still feel his physical body, the sensation of the now toxic-free liquid on his skin, and the feedback from his sphere of perception, which had somehow doubled. He could feel both the outside and the inside of where he was now. He found himself standing on a vast, dark field, with only black stone everywhere in sight, a place he would likely never forget. It was the malefic viper's realm, where he had first encountered the god that would turn out to be his new buddy. Trying to focus, he felt his senses of the outside world diminish. Intuitively, he also managed to move his sphere entirely into this new realm, making him now feel as if he was indeed there, and the disconnected feeling lessened. And just in time... On the horizon he saw a figure rise, one also familiar to him. He had seen it only for a brief moment, but one didn't simply forget the sight of the dark green dragon that was coming towards him. Its wings spread wide. They had to be several miles across as the dragon took flight. Smaller than the malefic viper, he thought, as it flew towards him. With his sight, he also noticed more differences. The color was slightly off the spikes on its back not present. Taking a second look, outside of the dark color and overall dragon shape, there were actually quite a few differences. He didn't have time to feel shame for his inability to distinguish dragons before it was just in front of him. Landing on the ground, it caused a small earthquake. Jake just stayed there unmoving, weirdly enough, not feeling any sense of alarm or danger despite the massive, powerful form before him. At least I didn't lack confidence back then either, the dragon spoke, with a voice Jake always cringed at in recordings. Simultaneously, it was enveloped by dark smoke that dispersed just as quickly, leaving a humanoid form behind. Jake used humanoid rather broadly. The figure was covered in the all-too-familiar dark green scales, and on his back were two jet-black wings. His feet and hands were a weird mixture between human and dragon, making them appear suitable for melee combat and using tools alike. What was most noticeable of all, however, was his face and eyes. Two green reptilian eyes stared back at him with a face identical to his own. It even had the same smirk he himself made all the time. So what do you think? The scaled version of Jake said, spreading out his wings and showing off his body. 
quite the upgrade, eh? More than a little confused about the entire scene playing out in front of him, he answered with the first thought that came to mind. Isn't it hard to hold a bow with those claws? In retrospect, perhaps not the most relevant thing to know at the current time. Nevertheless, the clone entertained the question with full seriousness. Quite the opposite, actually, Scaled Jake answered, pulling out a black bow from some kind of spatial storage. You see, unlike hands, these can be modified slightly. On top of that, the scales and resilience of the claws actually make them more suitable for archery. He demonstrated this by taking an arrow out of thin air and knocking it. His claws appeared to slightly warp as he did so, making them better fit around the string and arrowhead. After a brief channel of dark green energy, he fired the arrow into the horizon. Not bad, eh? he said as he turned to the real Jake. Less than a second later, the realm shook once more. In the distance was a large green explosion. Power akin to thousands of nuclear explosions went off at once. Jake could only stand there, staring in awe at the might on display. Exactly what rank was the scaled Jake in front of him? That casual arrow held enough power to blow up a damn planet. It made the king of the forest appear like a weakling. And yet... Why am I here? he asked himself. Always wanting everything explained? Well, I guess that part of me is still the same. Scaled Jake laughed. You are here to catch a glimpse of what we can become, a mere fragment of the power we can obtain through fully embracing the legacy of the Malefic One. Jake quickly caught something off. He had never referred to the Viper as the Malefic One before. On top of that, the way he said it made his stomach churn, like watching yourself do something cringeworthy in an old-school play. Coming off a bit fanatical there, mate. Me, whatever. Jake shook his head. Nothing wrong with that, man, his other version answered. This is a primordial we are talking about, a top-of-the-line badass. Not embracing that kind of power just seems stupid. Yeah, but nothing comes for free and all that. So what's the cost? Define costs. We know enough of the system to know that picking one path cuts others off. I just made a choice realized that some existences are above us and that sometimes accepting defeat can be a victory in itself. Besides, you see the results before you. Scaled Jake spread his long wings as the air hummed with power around him. His mana was carrying a vivid dark green tinge. Class, profession, and even race, far more powerful than that of a simple human. Skills more powerful than anything I could have ever imagined. To be honest, I don't see myself not becoming a god with this path. To cut off a few other paths is not a high price to pay for that at all. Making it sound like I can't become strong without relying on him, Jake answered, sighing at the version of himself. Powerful? From a mortal standpoint, sure, but a god? Doubtful. We are talented, yes, but we shouldn't waste that talent by scrambling in the dark trying to reinvent the wheel. The path of the Malefic One is tried and tested. It works. With it, Perhaps we can even one day be able to stand beside him, having enough strength not to be a worthless bug anymore. Maybe even his equal. Jake looked at his dragon version a bit, thinking. He saw the logic. Eck, it was his own logic. It made sense. It would be like learning programming and design to create a new complicated accountant system when you could just learn Excel to get the job done. Yet, yeah, no thanks. Seriously, are you going to give up on this kind of pi- Yep. 
What the hell is wrong with you? Why did I get that stupid? His scaled version said, a genuinely confused look on his face. Oh, we have always been this stupid. We just never had the balls to pursue it before the system. Balls you clearly lack as you pussied out. Jake smirked. Do you honestly believe that you can make it on your own? That you can even come close to godhood on your lonesome? Who knows, but I will sure as hell try. Besides, I am still not alone. I recognize that I am already well on the malefic viper's path, and I am not giving that up. But it won't become all I am. Seems there is no arguing with you. Oh well, if soft methods don't work, Dragon Jake pulled out his bow, we can try it the hard way. Jake stared at himself as his other version, with a flap of his wings, took to the air. Jake, still standing there, looked up at him. His scaled version drew his bow and knocked an arrow. The air cracked as reality itself seemed to shatter and reform around the channeling half-dragon. The mana was on another level. Yet Jake recognized the skill clearly. Infused power shot. Or, well, a vastly upgraded version of it. Final chance, an obvious choice. Choose to walk this path, or be consumed unwillingly. The voice echoed throughout the realm, yet Jake didn't move or respond. He just looked up at the other version of himself with... pity. Seeing the look, the other Jake had enough. He released the pent-up energy, and an arrow filled with unbridled power was fired straight for the weak-looking human below. Its speed was too fast to even register, its inherent power enough to destroy everything. A moment before impact, just before the measly human was annihilated, Jake raised his hand. Faster than scale Jake could see, the real Jake caught the arrow. The pent-up energy exploded out in the area around him, leveling an area the size of a smaller country. Yet Jake was unscathed. You know... I thought something was off from the beginning, Jake said as he snapped the arrow between his fingers. We may have the same roots, but we have diverged already. Do you remember the thought we had when we first saw the malefic viper on the mural in the Challenge Dundon? He didn't get an answer from his clone, who just looked gobsmacked, but he could see that he didn't know, or perhaps had forgotten. Only a single thought permeated my mind at that moment. I wanted to one day be able to fight that dragon to have the power to. That goal hasn't changed. How do you expect me to in any way surpass that dragon if all I do is follow in its footsteps, chasing its shadow like some fanatical sheep? Nah, man, that ain't me. Besides, I can see on you that you don't feel it. You are, in the end, just a cheap imitation. With that, he took a step forward, appearing mid-air right behind his dragon version. He didn't hesitate as he lightly smacked him on the back of the head, making his other version turn around in fright as he flew backward at supersonic speed. I would have seen that one coming. Stepping forward once more, he instantly appeared before the still-retreating other Jake. Raising his fist, he smashed into his back and sent him tumbling towards the ground, where he left a vast crater. That one, too. Jake had enjoyed the philosophical discussion with himself. It was an interesting and valuable learning experience for him, an excellent chance to reaffirm his own goals and convictions. The other version had good arguments, but his mind was already set. The nail in the coffin, however, was what he felt standing before his clone. He didn't feel a shred of fear or weakness. In front of the malefic viper and dusk leaf, he always had a small voice in the back of his head telling him that fighting them would mean certain death. 
That voice had been silent in front of his other version. In the end, this entire world wasn't real. It was inside Jake's mind or soul or whatever. Within such a mindscape, the normal rules didn't apply. Jake had felt that, too. He didn't use any of his skills, and yet his body was full of energy. He felt like he was in control of everything. Another step later, and he was in front of his scaled version, who was trying to get up. You don't have it, he said, staring down at his struggling clone. You are just a shell of one possible path, one that is pretty damn incomplete. You didn't even replicate our bloodline. Did I choose wrong? His other version looked up at him with a hollow look in his eyes. I wouldn't say that. You just didn't choose what I would. If you had to choose a higher power to swear yourself to, the Malefic Viper does seem like a good choice. Just not my choice. I want to see how long I can go on my own path. Jake ended with a comforting smile. Are you going to just give up the path of the Malefic Viper, just like that? Be content in your gain so far. What? Of course not. I am going to double dip, take everything and run with it. As you know, we have always been a bit of a greedy sort. Why should I accept something when I can take everything? You were insane. Yep, but my insanity is my own, Jake said with a small laugh. Now, it's goodbye. He didn't even have to do anything but will it. The body of the scaled version of Jake dispersed into dust, yet not everything disappeared. Left behind, floating in mid-air, was a single droplet of dark green blood. It didn't take long for Jake to recognize its aura, the malefic viper, a droplet containing a fragment of his records of what he was. It held power beyond anything Jake currently was, but not what he could be. The blood simply floated there in the air, radiating power. Jake bathed in its power, and he wanted it. Reaching out his hand, he tried to touch it, but found himself unable to. It was like a force field surrounded the blood, denying him access. It wasn't having that. It was just a damned drop of blood. No way he was going to let it get away. Strings of mana sprang up around his hand. All of them reached for the blood, only to be eroded when they got close. Jake didn't let up, however, but kept up his assault. Ten strings became a hundred, surrounding the blood from all sides. Finally, a single string of mana managed to creep close enough to nearly touch it. At the same time as this happened, the world around him began to shake. The cold, desolate stone began to crack. The sky was slowly swirling into itself, as if space itself began to collapse above. The world was breaking down. He felt that it wasn't actually the blood itself resisting him. Its passive aura kept him away. If it actively had tried to fight him off, he doubted he would be able to do anything. But as it was, he was winning. The aura around the blood finally gave in as Jake managed to grasp it in his hands. The moment his hand closed, so did the world collapse, and the final thing he saw was a notification. True blood of the Malefic Viper, unknown, has been successfully absorbed, strengthening your true blessing of the Malefic Viper. Blessing. True. True blessing of the Malefic Viper. Blessing. True. An alchemist recognized by the Malefic Viper himself. Few throughout the ages have found themselves blessed by the Primordial, despite their desire to be so. You are his chosen. Now even the true blood of the Malefic Viper himself is found within your very being, only strengthening your bond further. 
to your direct karmic and bodily connection, the wisdom, willpower and vitality of the malefic viper empowers you. Plus 10% willpower, plus 10% wisdom, plus 10% vitality, grants access to many new paths. Only one blessing can be held at a time. Chapter 47 Defiance and Gains Duskleaf nervously observed the young human as he appeared to sleep within the barrel. He knew that he was not in slumber, however. He was deep within his own soul, his true soul even, a domain where no outside force could interfere or peer in. Relax, Jake is stronger than you know, the malefic viper said, to comfort his worried disciple. However, he had to admit that even he had some small doubts. The god believed that he had a good understanding of Jake, but one could never be entirely sure. The fact that he couldn't provide any guidance or help was also infuriating. He couldn't even see what was happening in detail. What Jake was currently experiencing only he and the system would ever know, but whatever it was, it was something that would inevitably lead to change. A choice. What would emerge when he awakened would still be Jake, but the viper could only hope it was his friend that returned if he even woke up. Records carried power. They carried history. To reach above your station and try to grasp power beyond yourself would always lead to issues. It would become a fight between your own records and the records of whatever you tried to absorb. It could change your soul, affecting all layers. After Jake had been immersed for nearly an hour, the viper felt a slight change, one through his karmic connection with Jake, through his blessing. Jake had made a choice, it appeared. However, what the viper wasn't aware of was that it wasn't quite as he had imagined, something he soon became aware of. What the viper had hoped for was for Jake to take inspiration and possibly even absorb a fraction of the records in the drop of blood, for him to make the choice that would lead him the furthest. He didn't want Jake to be his follower, but to be his equal. Yet he didn't know that Jake's intent was different. Defiance would be the only word to describe it, honestly. Jake's intention had never been to stand beside him. It was to surpass him, to stand at the pinnacle of wherever the system could take you. Stand at that pinnacle, and then go beyond even that. The viper could only feel a faint sense of that dream through his karmic connection. It was audacious, arrogant, naive, and completely nonsensical. I like it. He saw that Jake had once more managed to go above and beyond his expectations. He hadn't just absorbed the records and the drop of blood. He had claimed it. All along it had been the plan to reabsorb the blood back into himself after the trial, but Jake had now managed to steal it. Partly. It was within him now, dormant. In the end, Jake was still only E-grade. For him to absorb the power within the blood was impossible with his current strength. Yet it was still suppressed and it would only strengthen their bond for the future. Two hours after Jake had entered his true soul, his eyes opened again. There were no brilliant colors or fanfare. He simply opened his eyes to see the two gods stand before him, one relieved and one grinning. All mobility had returned to his body after his little adventure of literal soul-searching. Raising his hands, he lifted himself out of the barrel and onto the floor. Without even thinking, he used mana to dry his body in only a few seconds. His mana control had truly undergone a noticeable change. 
That was quite something, he said jokingly to the two. Sure was. So all good? You don't suddenly feel compelled to fold your knees and swear yourself to be my eternal servant? The malefic viper was only half joking. He felt the power of the blessing had increased. The bond had undergone qualitative growth. He was afraid of what kind of consequences that would have on his mortal friend's frame of mind. Good question. Depends on if I can get an actual bottle of vodka any time soon. Macy and in with the bathwater kind of ruined the taste, Jake answered with an admonishing tone. I guess I do owe you one, the viper said with a laugh, going forward and giving Jake a slap on his shoulder. Now, get on some damn clothes. Jake noticed only now that he was still in his birthday suit. Feeling a bit embarrassed, he quickly summoned his armor and put it on. It didn't take long before he was back in his nearly all-black leather armor. He didn't bother to put on the cloak, as it was overdoing it a bit. He also noticed at that moment that he had completely forgotten about the mask, not that it appeared to matter, as it was utterly unblemished. So, what's the plan now? Jake asked the two of them. First of all, check your system messages, the viper said, Duskleaf nodding along. If all went well, your palate skills should have reached ancient rarity. Having already wanted to do so, he opened the menu. He had already seen his blessing being improved as the newest message, but that didn't mean it was the only one. Far from it. First of all, on the list were several levels, more than he had expected. Ding! Profession, prodigious alchemist of the Malefic Viper has reached level 58. Stat points allocated, plus five free points. Ellipsis. Ding! Profession, prodigious alchemist of the Malefic Viper has reached level 63. Stat points allocated, plus five free points. Ding! Race, human, E, has reached level 71. Stat points allocated, plus five free points. Ellipsis. Ding! Race, human, E, has reached level 73. Stat points allocated, plus five free points. Six levels in his profession had been gained throughout the trial. He had been told that time dilation had effects on experience, so he quickly asked if perhaps it wasn't a waste to do it here. Nah, it doesn't really matter. Time and experience are weird like that. You do time dilation mainly to train skills or meditate on concepts. Experience is never the main goal to begin with. Also, even if you lose out on a few levels now, it shouldn't matter. You're E-grade, man. You've got a long way to go. Accepting the answer, not like he had much cause not to, he moved on down the list. The next few ones were palette skill upgrading. A few times, actually, not all of them increasing the rarity. The final skill, however, did reach the desired ancient rarity. Palette of the Malefic Viper, rare, ancient. The Malefic Viper has honed its venom by devouring myriad toxins found throughout the multiverse. In the same vein, the alchemist of the Malefic Viper can consume toxins to learn their effects and properties. Further evolved, you can now also learn properties of herbs, while at the same time enjoying a greater benefit from all potions consumed. Grants immunity or resistance to most poisons. Passively provides one endurance per level in Alchemist of the Malefic Viper. Through consumption may your power grow. Through gluttony may your records expand. The description had gotten longer, 
and the effects had increased by quite a bit. Immunity and resistance from weak poisons had the weak part removed. Potions were apparently better for Jake now, and he could now also learn about herbs by eating, all around good stuff. But the last part was by far the best when it came to immediate gains. Bonus stats. Like scales of the Malefic Viper, this one also provided stat points for every level he had in his profession, effectively just making every level even more valuable. He was a bit surprised it gave endurance, but thinking about it, it was strongly related to internal energy. Or perhaps endurance helped with resistance to poisons in ways toughness didn't. Does endurance help with resistance to poison? He couldn't help himself from asking. Yes, endurance helps a bit with internal resistance, and internal energy automatically helps fight off harmful energies, though not as well as vital energy, Duskleaf said. It mainly serves to suppress the effects of the poison. Nodding, he returned his attention to the notifications. Pallet had been upgraded, as predicted, and it was better than he expected. But it didn't end there. After his little journey in his mindscape, he had unexpectedly gotten another skill upgraded. Blood of the Malefic Viper, Epic to Ancient The blood of the Malefic Viper is a toxin more deadly than most poisons, allows the prodigious alchemist of the Malefic Viper to turn their blood poisonous, imitating their patron. It has been further improved, even carrying traces of the true blood of the Malefic One within. The blood can be used as an ingredient in alchemy and as a deadly weapon against your foes. The nature of the poison is determined based on the records of the alchemist. The blood's toxicity level is based primarily on vitality and wisdom, but receives an increase from all physical stats. Passively provides one vitality per level in Alchemist of the Malefic Viper. May your blood be forever the bane of all that wishes you harm. Man, those descriptions are just getting longer, was his first thought. His second thought was how the skill hadn't really changed, except for providing even more stats. He was beginning to see a trend with these Malefic Viper skills providing stats upon reaching ancient rarity. By design, no doubt. If he didn't have his one-step mile, he would maybe even suspect that providing stats was a hallmark of all ancient skills. The extra vitality was, of course, more than welcome. With Jake's upgraded blessing now granting him an additional 10% vitality, the value was just even better. He was now getting a plus 65% bonus on vitality, even higher than his 60% in perception. The first title he'd obtained himself, Bloodline Patriarch, giving 10%, added with all his others, was now making a difference. He had actually surpassed 1,000 vitality, making it the second stat to do that after perception, which also meant 10,000 health. It didn't appear to do anything special, but it still felt like he had passed some kind of threshold. Either way, more health couldn't be bad. It was also interesting how the description recognized the drop of blood he had absorbed. He could still feel that drop. It was inside of him somewhere, not quite physically, but more in a metaphysical way. Maybe a part of his soul? He wasn't sure. But it appeared to grant quite the benefits. He felt it, and he also felt how it was suppressed. All in all, the trial had been a significant success in every way. Two skills upgraded, several levels, and all only in a few days, counting the whole time warp thing. So, did you get it upgraded? The Viper asked, interrupting Jake before he could go further down the list. Yeah, got it to uh, ancient rarity. Also managed to upgrade the blood skill from epic to ancient, Jake answered, closing the menu to focus on the conversation. 
That blessing you gave me also upgraded. Gives vitality also now. Nice. You got more than I expected. I can feel the blessing is strengthened, too. The viper made a faux lecherous smile. So, how does it feel to have a part of me inside you? Very intimate, eh? Moving on, I have been meaning to ask, why even do the blessings? I get what I benefit from it, but what's in it for you? Well, we gobs can progress in other ways than just earning experience. Faith is one of those paths. A blessing is more or less an investment in someone to act as a conduit of your faith. Follow your doctrines and such. At least normally. I blessed you just for the heck of it, and honestly it has worked out way better than I expected. Does that mean I have been hoodwinked into being your preacher when I returned to Earth? Jake asked, fully aware there was no fucking way he was doing that. If you want to, I don't really care. I am benefiting enough just from you getting stronger and not dying, but if you want to establish an official order on Earth and begin recruiting, it will... Not gonna happen, Jake interrupted. Again, fuck that. Master, I think you have chosen a poor prophet, Duskleaf interjected. His deadpan manner made it incredibly hard for both the Viper and Jake to discern if he was serious or joking. Choosing to take it as a joke, the Viper agreed. I must confess I could have done better. Hasn't even done a single mass sacrifice or committed his firstborn yet. I am a bit scared to ask, but are you actually interested in both of those? The firstborn? Nah, I would suck as a babysitter and kids taste funny. As for the sacrifice, sure, why not? This may be a bit late to ask, but what exactly is the doctrine of your church or border or whatever? Jake asked. A question he should likely have asked way earlier. Smiling, the viper answered concretely, Greed, power, and freedom, you know, all the good stuff. A god's creed is more often than not just a symbol of their personality and personal path to power. My path is one littered with corpses and killing anything in my way. My doctrine is a lot like that. In other words, do whatever the fuck you want, and it is likely according to my doctrine. Seems easy enough. What about you, Duskleaf? Jake asked, turning to the other god. Alchemy. And? Just alchemy. No reason to face importance on unimportant things. Anything that can further my progress towards the pinnacle in alchemy is good. I don't have any followers, though, so it doesn't matter. A god without faith, Jake asked with genuine concern. Is that fine? No danger of you suddenly disappearing by being forgotten or something like that? What? No, why would I? Where have you gotten such a silly idea from? Uh, I just remember some fiction where gods were a bit like that, Jake answered, a bit embarrassed. Damn you, inaccurate fictional portrayals of gods. Faith isn't actually that big a part of many gods, the viper said. I am not particularly into that path either. It isn't even rare that gods exist without any followers or believers at all. A lot of gods don't do anything and prefer to be holed up in a secluded alchemy lab or something like that for unspeakable amounts of time. His answers were clearly throwing shade at Duskleaf, 
I don't see what having a bunch of nosy followers does to help me get better at alchemy. The two of them continued bickering for a bit back and forth. It was clear that despite them being master and disciple, they were also old friends. The type of friendship forged over... how long, actually? Hey, Ben Zinking, how old are you two? Well, that came out of nowhere, the Viper said after being interrupted. I have been around since before the first era, so ninety-two full eras and chains. Duskleaf is from the fourth era. And how many years is that? Well, each era varies. The ninety-second era was around fifteen billion years. In other words, the amount of time it took for your universe to go from a sea to what it was just before the initiation. Each era varies in length, the longest being 228 billion years, and the shortest being only 7 billion. Do the math. Computing for a few moments, and making full use of his high intelligence stat, Jay quickly concluded, Both a bunch of old farts, coercing a young man older than 28 into some weird religion. More like two old studs, disrobing and putting their liquids inside a young man. Two old men bathing with a young stud, or one of these old stud-slash-men stood with a hand on his face in the background, looking in exasperation at his master and the young mortal, cursing himself for having gotten himself involved in his entire debacle. Chapter 48 You know, I'm something of a sage myself. After a long and very fruitful conversation, Jake was finally reminded by the old alchemist that he still had notifications pending. One notification, to be more accurate. This one due to unlocking another available skill upon reaching level 60 in his profession. Prodigious alchemist of the malefic viper profession skills available. Jake was honestly quite excited. The last few skills gained from his profession had all been excellent, the most recent being scales of the malefic viper. It was surprisingly long ago that he'd gotten it, all the way back before he even fought the great white stag. Now he had finally managed to unlock another. With great vigor he jumped in and, with fervor, saw the first skill. Offering, common, offer an item to your chosen god, allowing them to better hear your pleas for a short period. And it was shit. Seriously? For all his trials and tribulations, he got a shitty prayer skill, he was pretty sure the viper could already hear whenever he did something akin to a prayer, so why the hell would he need a skill for it? The rarity alone was enough to put him off. The description was the bare minimum, telling nothing of value. He knew that only five new skills were added at a maximum every time he unlocked the possibility of getting a new skill. Perhaps he had spent a bit too much time around gods recently. He could only imagine that it had pushed out better and more usable skills. Moving on with great speed, he got to the next one, which was at least a rare skill. Ritualism of the Malefic Viper, rare. To do a ritual is to pay tribute. To give your life for the Malefic One, an honor. Grants the alchemist knowledge of different rituals pertaining to the Malefic Viper. The ritual's effect is based on the nature of the ritual performed and the materials used during the ritual. Stat bonuses are applied according to the nature of the ritual performed. Had the system finally gotten a sense of humor and begun joking with him? The talk of ritual sacrifices was a joke. A joke. Yet Jake was a bit suspicious at the mere existence of the skill. 
Maybe it was just something all gods had. Yeah, he assumed all gods would have fanatical followers that went overboard. It was the damn viper's fault for speaking about sacrifices and such to begin with. A horrible joke had turned into a horrible skill that Jake, of course, had no intention of taking at all. Everything about it was just ominous. No way he was actually going to return to Earth and begin some insane cult with human sacrifices to a god named Billy with whom he drank beers on weekends. As he'd said during the talk of sacrificial rituals earlier, fuck that. Moving on down the list, the next one was epic rarity and, well, this one was good. Real good. Methodology of Duskleaf. Epic. Taught by a god who stands at the pinnacle of alchemy, you have begun to understand his methodology. Grants the alchemist a fragment of the knowledge of the god Duskleaf and increases your understanding of alchemy and mana, as well as overall control techniques during all concoctions or brewings. Allows the alchemist to make creations he does not have the associated crafting skill for. Does not receive stat effectiveness bonuses without associated skill. Hey, Duskleaf, guess what? He said to the god who looked to be daydreaming. Probably about alchemy. Hmm? I got a skill from you. Methodology of Duskleaf. It's even epic and has quite the discreet... I forbid you from taking it! Duskleaf exclaimed loudly, the air slightly trembling at his voice. No way! Choose something else! Anything but that! I don't know, it looks pretty good, Jake teased. However, there was quite a bit of truth in what he said. The skill was good. Really good. It seemed like a skill that would just improve nearly everything during a concoction and brewing, and it would even allow him to make things he didn't have the crafting skill for, such as flasks. He had been told that he could anyway. It was just harder. In fact, anyone could still do anything. Jake, if he so wished, could pick up a hammer and make a sword. Of course, the sword would suck, but the system would recognize his creation if it met the bare minimum requirements. He would also not receive any of the bonuses associated with having a profession linked to crafting swords, nor any experience of any kind. This skill would allow him to make flasks far easier without the associated crafting skill, since it would allow him to get the system assistance and instinctive knowledge. He would very likely still want the actual crafting skill at some point, but it was a good temporary solution. Besides, Jake knew he wouldn't have enough skill and time soon to get all the crafting skills. Transmutations, pills, flasks, powders, elixirs, and so on were just a few of the things he could learn to craft as an alchemist, and those were just the ones he already knew about. He knew there was far more out there. He wasn't sure when he would ever get the skill selections for the skills at the current pace. Currently, he only got a skill every ten levels. It was every five levels before the first class evolution, so he had a strong suspicion it would be even less than every ten levels after his next evolution. And on top of that, his biggest issue was that he often just had better skills, this very skill-picking session being one such situation. Therefore, you should refrain from picking it, as it would have implications at... Fine, I won't cease, Jake said, as he exited his inner thoughts, noticing the Duskleaf had kept talking throughout his entire inner monologue. Too bad. You just missed the perfect chance to get your first faithful, the malefic viper laughed in the background. Jake just shook his head as he moved on to the fourth skill available. Another one of epic rarity, and this one also related to the malefic viper, though perhaps not precisely what he was looking for. Dark beacon of the malefic viper, epic. 
As the holder of a true blessing of the Malefic Viper, you're his champion among the mortals. Allows the alchemist to channel the aura of the Malefic Viper to more easily subdue others. Allows the alchemist to guide others toward the path of the Malefic Viper, forcefully or otherwise. Scale effect is based on wisdom and willpower. The larger disparity between your power and your targets, the larger the effect. Is the system set on my becoming a cult leader or what? Jake thought to himself, after reading the description. Also, what the hell did the skill even have to do with alchemy to begin with? Maybe related to teaching others alchemy? It would take some serious mental gymnastics for it to make sense. Then again, it wasn't like the prior skills were necessarily alchemy-related. The only slightly positive thing that he could see was its possible combat applications, like an AoE aura to suppress weaker enemies or crowds. But thinking on it further, didn't his new gaze of the Apex Under do something similar to that, just by sight, instead of a constant aura? Also, the wording on it was just too creepy. Talking about subduing others, forcing them into following the Malefic Viper and such, it was giving off clear nope vibes all around. Jake did not, in any way, shape, or form, have the desire to become any kind of leader, despite him having a lord title now. He considered asking the Viper about the skill, but ultimately decided not to. He hadn't asked or shown any interest in the skills Jake had been offered. It was Jake's choice to make, be they suboptimal or not. Though in many cases, the outright best skill was just clear from the beginning. It turned out this time was no different, with the final skill being a clear standout. Sagacity of the Malefic Viper, Ancient To hold just a fragment of the wisdom of a primordial is more than most ever achieve. Much rarer is being personally taught that knowledge directly by the god himself. Allows the alchemist to peek into a fragment of the Malefic Viper's records to seek his knowledge. Grants the alchemist of the Malefic Viper far better understanding of mana and of most affinities. Allows the alchemist to make creations he does not have the associated crafting skill for. Does not receive stat effectiveness bonuses without associated skill. Passively provides one wisdom per level in Alchemist of the Malefic Viper. May your search for knowledge be as inexhaustible as the Malefic One. Once again, a long-ass description, a tendency Jake was beginning to see with the ancient rarity skills granted by the Malefic Viper. Like with the scales, palette, and blood, this one provided wisdom. The pattern was clear, and Jake was also beginning to suspect that some of his other skills would be similar when upgraded to ancient. But to focus on the actual skill in question, there was a lot to say, and yet not that much. It was awesome. Wisdom was an excellent stat when it came to alchemy, and the skill overall appeared in many ways to just be a better version of the methodology of Duskleaf skill. There were some minor differences, but the crafting without associated skills part was there. It actually made him feel a bit sad for Duskleaf, but on the other hand, he had been forbidden from taking his skill. Duskleaf's skill provided a bonus while doing alchemy to mana control, while this one just granted a better understanding of mana and affinities without directly having to do with the alchemy. He was also interested in the peer into a fragment to see records of the Malefic Viper part. If he had to guess, then that fragment would be the drop of blood he now carried within him. In the end, there was no contest as to which skill he would choose. The 63 bonus wisdom alone made the sagacity of the Malefic Viper just too tempting to pass up. He found it interesting that he would now effectively get four more stat points per level in his profession than otherwise stated with the skill. He had quite honestly lucked out hardcore when it came to stumbling across that challenge dungeon. 
Or maybe it was the subtle guiding hand of the system, fate, destiny, or whatever mumbo-jumbo people believed in post-system. He didn't care about things he couldn't influence or control, so he just decided to be grateful for what he had gotten. He didn't even consult the two gods before he picked the skill, something he should maybe have done, as they were both surprised when he knelt down to the floor holding his head. He had gotten many skills over the brief period he had been in the system, but this one was by far the worst when it came to knowledge imprinted in his mind. It felt like hours as he was assaulted by a constant stream of information downloaded directly into him. There was so much he quite frankly couldn't contain it all. The entire process took nearly an hour before the influx and pain subsided. My fucking ahead, he cursed, trying to go through whatever knowledge was just forced upon him. To his absolute bewilderment, he found barely anything. It was just a few wisps of knowledge about mana control and the nature of different affinities, most of which he already knew through prior testing or educated guesses. Instead, it appeared that the knowledge was somehow locked away, locked away within him, more accurately, inside that drop of blood he had absorbed. It seems that absorbing that drop of blood is the only reason I could get that overpowered skill to begin with. It also made the description make more sense. The thing about peeking into a fragment of his knowledge, that is. Just picking it up didn't give him the full view, but was more akin to downloading Wikipedia. Just because it was downloaded didn't mean he wouldn't actually have to study and understand it. That was a doozy, Jake muttered, inadvisably opening up himself to question from the two gods. Got a nice skill, I reckon, the viper asked. Sagacity of the malefic viper. I would explain what it does, but I guess you already know. Well, as the skill says, I am something of a sage myself. Surprise you unlocked that skill so early, though. The first one to get it from many eras, and I think the first one ever to get it at E-grade. I think you'll come to learn it is quite the skill. Glad to see that I can even surprise a sage with my humble actions, he said, before turning to Duskleaf, a foe look of grief on his face. I am so sorry I didn't take your skill. I promise to get one with your name in it next time, if possible. Just don't, Duskleaf said, heaving a sigh of relief when he realized it was just a joke. After talking a bit with the two, Jake decided to finally look at his status menu. However, before doing so, he dumped all his points into perception to truly see how far he had come. Status. Name, Jake Thane. Race, human. E. Level 73. Class, Ambitious Hunter. Level 83. Profession, Prodigious Alchemist of the Malefic Viper. Level 63. Health points, 10,030 of 10,030. Mana points, 11,350 of 11,350. Stamina, 8,024 of 8,030. Stats. Strength, 629. Agility, 877. Endurance, 803. Vitality, 1003. Toughness, 650. Wisdom, 908. Intelligence, 442. Perception, 1689. Willpower, 550. Three points, zero. Titles. Forerunner of the New World, Bloodline Patriarch, Holder of a Primordial's True Blessing, Dungeoneer 5, Dungeon Pioneer 5, Legendary Prodigy, Prodigious Slayer of the Mighty, Kingslayer, Nobility, Lord, Progenitor of the 93rd Universe, Class Skills, Basic One-Handed Weapons, Inferior, Advanced Self, Common, 
Advanced Archery, Common, Basic Twin Fang Style, Uncommon, Basic Shadow Vault of Umbra, Uncommon, Splitting Arrow, Uncommon, Hunter's Tracking, Uncommon, Big Game Hunter, Rare, Infused Power Shot, Rare, Mark of the Ambitious Hunter, Rare, Descending Dark Fang, Rare, Limit Break, Rare, One Step Mile, Ancient, Moment of the Primal Hunter, Legendary, Gaze of the Apex Hunter, Legendary, Profession Skills, Herbology, Common, Brew Potion, Common, Concoct Poison, Common, Alchemist's Purification, Common, Alchemical Flame, Common, Toxicology, Uncommon, Cultivate Toxin, Uncommon, Malefic Viper's Poison, Rare, Sense of the Malefic Viper, Rare, Touch of the Malefic Viper, Epic, Scales of the Malefic Viper, Ancient, Palette of the Malefic Viper, Ancient, Blood of the Malefic Viper, Ancient, Sagacity of the Malefic Viper, Ancient, Blessing, True Blessing of the Malefic Viper, Blessing, True, Race Skills, Endless Tongues of the Myriad Races, Unique, Identify, Common, Thoughtful Meditation, Uncommon, Shroud of the Primordial, Divine, Bloodline, Bloodline of the Primal Hunter, Bloodline Ability, Unique. Looking over his entire status menu, his progress was impressive. He had gotten so many titles and levels since he last checked. Thinking back, he hadn't actually gone through his status since back before he fought the Horde Leader. After that, he had killed that boss, killed the King of the Forest, and now even gotten way stronger from his, to quote, cool-ass time-warped training session in alchemy. He was stronger than ever before by quite a lot. He hadn't had the chance to fight anything and test himself, but perhaps he could win against the king if it was the current him. Hey, if I fought the king of the forest now, do you think I could— Fuck no. Absolutely not, the two gods answered simultaneously. Are you— Yeah, you would get your head ripped off in a moment, the viper said. Seriously, Jake, I still don't think you understand the disparity. That was a true blue, degrade, unique life form. If he hadn't been so far up his own ass, he would have killed you instantly. Perhaps if you had your current strength, all it would change is that he wouldn't have bothered to play around but just kill you outright. In other words, I just got extremely lucky, Jake asked, a bit disappointed. Partly. You were offered this situation to exploit and the tools to possibly exploit it. If you had been any weaker, you would have failed. If you had been less deceitful and smart about it, you would have died. Don't take anything away from your own victory. Besides, the king wasn't a normal degrade being. Far from it. So don't belittle yourself. The tutorials are made to be theoretically beatable. They are balanced based on who attends them. The system naturally knew how much divine interference there would be, so it upped the overall difficulty. In fact, I reckon your tutorial was among the hardest of your universe, and certainly the hardest for Earth. You beating it is fucking monstrous, so keep it up, you goddamn freak. Thanks, I guess. Anyway, what's the plan now? War alchemy? He was ready to try and practice his new skills. We got only a few hours before it is time for you to get whisked back to Earth, and that is cunning the time warping, the Viper said. I think it's time we sit down and have a talk about what's to come. Chapter 49 Homecoming
Sitting down around the table, the viper finally brought out the old bottle of booze. Duskleaf didn't appear particularly interested, but nevertheless joined them with a glass. I promise to answer a few questions. So, here we are, the viper said, opening the conversation. Just know that there are things I cannot or will not tell you. Some because the system isn't a fan, and some because the knowledge will do you more harm than good. I guess, first of all, how the hell do you even know things? Jake asked. Things about Earth and such. At first I thought it was just a god thing, but Duskleaf looks like a big question mark whenever you make a reference or a joke. It wasn't really valuable information, just something that had been irking him. Didn't see that question being the first. See, I don't know everything. There are a lot of skills out there. As you no doubt know, the system can give you access to knowledge and records, and I happen to have a skill that allows me to know things. Think of it as me having access to a limited form of Google or Wikipedia that provides me with widely known information. That sounds overpowered as fuck. How do I get it? Jake asked, gaping slightly. Holy shit, he wanted that skill. Yeah, good luck getting it before being well in the godwood. And it isn't actually as good as it sounds and has many limits. But yeah, it's called partial omniscience. Quite a few other gods have similar skills, but I doubt anyone has one better than mine. I got it a couple of eras ago, so it is a bit of the new addition. The amount of useless info it provides is staggeringly stupid. Doesn't it take its toll to have that much crammed into your head? Jake asked, with genuine concern. A mere fragment of knowledge had brought him to his knees. He could only imagine the weight from all of it. Jake, I have more in wisdom than your entire planet collectively. I am good, the malefic viper answered dismissively. When we both know that my awesomeness isn't what matters right now. True, Jake said, before leaning back in the chair a bit. What can I expect when I return to Earth? When the system comes, it changes a lot of things. Life planets, such as your Earth, are one such thing. As you can likely already guess, your planet is actually quite small and fragile before the system, compared to what its inhabitants can and will be able to do in the future. It has thus been terraformed to be more fitting for the new world. What exactly does that mean? First of all, size. It is a lot bigger than before. A lot of it will still feel familiar, but a lot will be different. The general layout of the planet remains. It is all just bigger. Oceans are deeper. Land masses expand further. Mountains now extend toward the sky, taller than ever. Forests become endless metropolises of trees that extend into the horizon. Secondly, the creatures that live there will have changed. While the enlightened races, a.k.a. humans, spent their time in a tutorial, the animals that remained lived through this baptism. Now, joined by others made by the system, they have changed. Don't underestimate them. Degrades? Jake asked, concern. From the original inhabitants? Yes, many. The energy to terraform the planet has also gone into these animals, allowing them to grow far more than usual. But I doubt you will be able to find any, and they will be few and far between, grouped around natural treasures or special areas. 
I would be more concerned about the third thing. Tell me, what do you think would have happened to the king of the forest if he hadn't killed him? Don't tell me. Yeah, he would have joined you back on earth, and he is far from the only one. Many creatures have been placed in tutorials, and now they will come to earth. The same would have been true of the four beast lords you killed. Of course, now they are dead, which will leave a gap, one for you to exploit. The viper smiled mischievously. Hold your horses. What do you mean they would have come to earth? Doesn't that mean a bunch of extremely powerful, possibly sapient beings with their own agendas will come to earth? What the hell? Jake was slightly panicking. It isn't that bad. These D-grades won't be able to walk about as they please, but instead be placed in certain areas. Remember the bubble from the tutorial with the inner area? That bubble would have been what moved. Only the original inhabitants can enter, while someone like the King of the Forest can't leave. Of course, after a while, the bubble will disperse, and they will be free to roam about. The clarification dispelled much of Jake's concern. He went back to the last part of what the god said before with a sigh of relief. So, what am I meant to exploit? Smiling, the god explained. A gap has been made with the death of the king of the forest. More accurately, his forest has been left behind. It will, without a doubt, be close to where you will be upon returning to earth. Find it and establish yourself there. Locate the pylon of civilization. Ought to give you quite the head start in a nice base of operations. Trust me on this. It will prove very fruitful down the line. Not sure I am interested in settling down and getting a base. My current plan is to search for my parents, along with my brother and his wife. I got the feeling that you were like me when it comes to leadership, so just find someone to dump it on while reaping all the rewards from being in charge on paper. As for the family situation, the viper sighed. I have some bad news on that front. Jake felt a creeping sensation as he hesitated to ask. What? With a look more serious than before, not carrying a hint of joking around, the viper said, Don't even think about it. Everything in his head stopped turning for a moment as he just sat there in silence, letting the words ring out in the room. It took him a while for the words to sink in. Why was the only thing he could ask himself. Didn't they make it? His father, Robert, had always been a resourceful man, his mother kind yet strong-willed. Caleb and Maya, too. Why? Is, is there a way to bring them back? Jake asked. Find a grasp on to hope. I am sorry. I have tried more than anyone else to try and bring someone back to life. If it is possible, I still don't know how. If there were a body and certain items and skills, it had been done only for those who died just moments earlier. If their true soul is gone, however, it isn't possible. Not like it matters currently, they still live. What the hell? Jake said, a bit angry. Then why the hell should I not go look for them? He was the kind of person who planned and followed that plan as far as he could go, one who set himself a goal to accomplish. He would do everything to succeed and would struggle until he won. He had done so when he set his goal of killing the king. Because it's a waste of time, 
Do you know where your family is? How far away they are? Are you even certain you are strong enough to help them? And have you considered the consequences of focusing on finding them over your own progress? I kind of hope for you to give me a clue as to a general direction, Jake said. I won't do that. The system wouldn't have given that information either. It is naive to think that you can find a handful of people in a short time on a planet that has changed so significantly with your limited power. It's far more important for you to get stronger. Also, for once, believe a bit in them. Maybe they can take care of themselves, and your babying will only do more harm than good. Jake thought a bit, and as much as he hated it, he didn't really feel like he could dispute any of the points. But at the same time, he felt a bit regretful. He had chosen Hunter's tracking to find them better, one step mile to hopefully travel faster to them. Was that all for naught? Then what the hell am I supposed to do? he asked as he stared at the ceiling. Grow stronger, make it fuel the move forward faster because you want to find and protect them. The path ahead of you is long. You will meet other people you want to protect too, no doubt, the viper said consolingly. Besides, no matter what, at least you have two buddies here who will more than likely stick around through it all. He gave a light smile while motioning to himself and the silent duskleaf. Jake looked at the two of them while contemplating his future. He had not come to terms with it, but he had to recognize that he was going to Earth alone. It was just that he still felt a bit... lonely. His colleagues and friends were now either dead or had a relationship with him that he was far from comfortable with. Jacob had somehow survived, but he was incredibly unsure precisely what their meeting would be like. Casper was apparently an undead, so that was a whole thing he wasn't sure how to handle. Jake himself felt regret towards not helping either of them, while Jacob likely also harbored resentment toward Jake. He'd never really had any friends outside of work and his family. They had all been pushed away through time, or he had distanced himself after his less-than-positive experience during university. The only other ones he had were online, and those relationships were even more ambiguous. Perhaps he should just follow the advice of Billy, find a base, plop himself down there and do alchemy or something, get his head straight. But what then? Would he become a leader of humanity and lead them in the new world? Yeah, fat chance of that happening. Would he become a hermit living alone in the woods? That didn't appear tempting either. For the first time in a long time, Jake was unsure of what to do. He didn't have a plan, not a long-term one anyway. I guess whatever comes, comes, he muttered to himself. How long till I leave? Around the hour in the year, minutes outside where time moves normally. Let's head out then, Jake said, getting up. Without arguing, the viper complied by opening the door. Jake felt time slowly return to normal as the world reverted to what it had been before he entered, except he now felt a bit more hollow inside. Hollow, but still determined. They kept talking outside for a bit about other things he could expect back on Earth until he was reminded it would very soon be time. I guess we will see each other later, he said, addressing the two gods. And thanks for everything. No problem. That's what friends are for, right? The viper said smiling.
It would get monotonous if you thanked me every time I helped you. Just take care of yourself. Don't die on me quite yet. Stay safe, Duskleaf added, opening his mouth for the first time in quite a while. And remember not to slack off on your alchemy practice. I don't plan on dying any time soon, if ever. And don't worry, I won't slack. Gonna blow you away the next time we meet. With those words, they just stood there a while, taking in the atmosphere. It was likely the last time the three would meet in quite a while. Jake had grown stronger once more, titles, skills, and levels. After his last battle with the king, he had grown to entirely new levels. He was ready to unleash himself on the unsuspecting planet that was Earth. Jacob stood beside his old friend and bodyguard as they prepared to return. The brief time spent in the temple had felt like far longer than it actually was. Well, for Bertram it had been far longer. He had spent most of his time in a time chamber with the Grand Master, after all. While neither of them had grown overly much in levels, both had grown in their own way. Bertram had skill upgrades, his swordsmanship now a rare skill in itself. When he entered the chamber, he'd been a competent fighter by Earth's standards. Now he was capable even by the standards of the multiverse. For an E-grade, at least. He felt confident. Jacob had instead spent his time learning. Due to his class, even this minor act had gained him two levels. Neither had done anything for their professions. Bertram, because he didn't have the time, and Jacob, because he already knew which profession to get in the future, and it wasn't quite time yet to get it. A lot had been explained to them about what they would come to meet upon their return, and now the Grand Master, with his daughter by his side, gave them a final speech. Remember that safety is your number one concern. Avoid the danger zones to begin with while you build up your conclave of followers. Follow the Holy One's word, and you are sure to succeed in your path to enlighten your planet, but that doesn't mean you won't have to be vigilant. You need to be especially wary of followers of other gods. Enemy gods of the Holy Church may have blessed individuals who will target you due to your position and purpose. We cannot offer you any material assistance for the foreseeable future, so you will sadly be on your own. But even more so than those who wish to kill you, you must be wary of deceivers, the bearded man said in his usual serious tone. Those who wish to use you or mislead you, liars and the ones you thought of as friends, do not trust easily those your skills cannot read properly. He turned to the guardian besides Jacob. Bertram, your job is to protect the Orca. Your life and his are one and the same. Do not disappoint us. Bertram only nodded, returning the seriousness of his temporary teacher. Jacob was deep in thought at the man's words, as he was also still fine-tuning his plan upon returning to Earth. There were many things to address, and he needed to make sure he did things right the first time. His resolve to spread the word of the Holy Church was genuine, his conviction true. He just needed to convince others. Religion had always been a tricky subject, one where more often than not you were simply born into one. With the system, it was very different. Gods were no longer intangible things, no longer only representations of an ideology. They were now that, and so much more. They were actual beings with the true power to influence the world. Has there been word on my inquiry related to the result of the tutorial I was part of? Yes, the voice echoed out in the hall, startling everyone. The voice was overpowering, yet gentle. 
a figure of light manifested before them, and upon seeing the visage of who had come, they all kneeled. The Grand Master had a mixed look of shock and pure reverence. The mother? Kneeling, none of them dared look up as the figure spoke. Even Jacob kneeled out of respect. Your friend one defeated the destined king and became a progenitor. Do not fight him, my son, but do not ally with him either. Avoid your friend for now. May you forever bask in the holy light, my children. With those words, the figure dispersed as fast as it had come. In error, Jacob and Bertram all looked confused at words like destined king and progenitor. Perhaps only the Grand Master understood those terms, but he was too beside himself to explain, as he was still awestruck by what had just happened. He barely managed to break out of the spell and throw out a brief, half-coherent explanation before the two young humans were gone, taken by the system back to whence they came. Casper stood surrounded by floating runes as he finished up his final preparations. His skin was white as ash, and his body didn't give off the faintest hint of life energy, yet he appeared more lively than he had ever been since the tutorial went to shit. All the runes around him spun as they slowly came together and formed a single magic circle. Taking out a stake from his spatial storage, he moved the circle towards it, and the runes embedded themselves in the weapon. Another trap prepared. Exiting the tower, he gave a final nod towards the mighty Urchlich that had served as his teacher for the last few weeks. He had progressed more than he thought possible, and he felt genuinely grateful. The Urchlich bowed back in recognition, not of Casper, but of the one who had granted him a blessing. That blessing was more than enough for Casper to be named the leader of the undead forces that would return to Earth, but he had refused adamantly. Still, that didn't mean he wasn't respected or feared by the others. The meeting in the courtyard below was also just about concluded when Casper made his entrance. They all stopped and stared at him for a while before turning back to their leader, a woman named Priscilla, who had once been human like himself. Risen human, level 58. She gave him a sweet smile before returning her attention to the crowd. Casper just sneered a bit, and it wasn't helped by the locket around his neck heating up slightly due to the annoyance of the ghost within. I told you, Lyra, I don't care about her. With a sigh, he closed his eyes and just waited for the end of the tutorial. Sixty-three days and a bit over twenty-two hours ago, all humans had disappeared from Earth. Now, it was time for those who remained to come home. Intermission 3. Carmen. For her, it had just been another typical and tiring day. She had to get up early, clean her room, and make it all nice and tidy before heading off for breakfast. After that, she would have to do a bit of studying before a nice workout in the yard. Then it was work time, a bit of recreational time in the evening before her early bedtime. It was a constant routine that she had done now for nearly two years. It wasn't that bad, and she got used to it. Of course, it was a bit of a downer that it was involuntary. Prison as a violent offender wasn't exactly the beacon of freedom, after all. Now, what exactly had the little harmless her done to land herself here on a five-year sentence? In a word, revenge. Two words, justified revenge. 
Arguing the second point hadn't helped her much, however, as apparently that just meant the act had been premeditated. Oh well, do the crime, do the time. She had accepted it, and to be fair, the prison wasn't that bad, actually. She was lucky she lived in a country with a somewhat lax prison system focused on reformation over punishment, which isn't to say she altogether avoided violence in there. But fucking someone up to the point where even the prison guards didn't recognize them apparently had done enough for others just to leave her alone, though it didn't look perfect on her record. Her story had started 25 years ago when she was born. A bit cliché, but what can you do? After that, she grew up in what could only be described as a high-class family, one she sadly didn't fit in with. Despite being a girl, she didn't precisely follow the expected customs of looking pretty and becoming a good wife, but instead had interests that her aunt described as unrefined and unsightly. Stuck-up bitch. Luckily, her parents were the right sort. Her mother had married into the family, and her dad had always been a bit of an outcast himself, one that didn't get better when he allowed his wife to give her a Spanish name over a more Italian one, Carmen. Carmen had grown up with that horrible extended family, which would chastise her at every turn. Why don't you wear a nice dress? Oh, goodness, boxing. Wouldn't ballet be more fitting for you? And the worst one of them all. Why can't you be more like Beatrice? She hadn't ever been the smartest or the prettiest girl. She wasn't delusional and knew this. In fact, she had that fact hammered into her skull constantly growing up because of her aunt's beautiful, smart, and just all-around perfect daughter. In other words, her cousin. Her dad had never liked his own sister, and Carmen could see why. She was indeed the stereotypical, entitled parent who believed their little angel to be perfect in everything. And annoyingly enough, Beatrice was just too damn close to perfect. Her cousin had the highest grades, worked as a child model, and had even gotten an acting gig when she was eight. She only grew up to be smarter and more beautiful than any of them imagined, and finally managed to get into one of the best universities overseas. Though Carmen did have to admit that it may just have been her own bias. When you were told something constantly, you begin to believe it. And she honestly did believe her cousin to be better than her, ending up in her suffering from a severe lack of self-esteem growing up. Every single family gathering was comparing her to her cousin, always with her losing out. Despite it all, Carmen had tried to be her cousin's friend. Who wouldn't want to be the friend of Miss Perfect? And for the most part, her cousin appeared to accept her as her little follower. That was how her childhood went. Carmen was always the second fiddle. That was until she turned eighteen and was introduced to an entirely new world. Boxing. It turned out that while Carmen was a dunce with a book, she was really good at hitting people. Impressively so. She began to build up her own self-confidence and finally find herself. She got new friends and a boyfriend, and finally she was her own person, something she came to learn her cousin didn't like. Carmen began not to give a shit about how her cousin got into the best university, or that she had gotten that new job as a model, or how many goddamn Facebook friends or Instagram followers she had. But stupidly enough, she hadn't completely cut off that part of her family. To her parents, the family still mattered a lot, and she cared about her parents. So she stayed cordial and took the battering from all their relatives who disapproved of her life choices. Honestly, her entire family was toxic as fuck. She even found out her grandmother had paid off her first boyfriend to leave her because he didn't fit. Fuck her, and fuck that guy. 
Through those years, Carmen got better and better at boxing. Her coach was even confident that she could go pro if she kept up her practice. In the ring, Carmen was happy, until her cousin took that from her. It was a simple favor. Come help clean my car. Thinking back, it was actually more an order than a request. But stupidly, she had gone to help her hopeless cousin. She had helped clean it with her cousin standing to the side on her phone. This day, however, Carmen had decided to stand up for herself. She called out the bullshit and told her lazy cousin to get off her ass and help clean her own damn car. After a bit of bickering, her cousin agreed, and for the first time, Carmen believed she had gotten one over on her perfect cousin. That is, just until she was in the car cleaning, with one of her hands in the gap of the open door. Without any warning, the door slammed, her hand caught in it. The sound of bone being crushed was loud enough for the entire neighborhood to hear. The blood made all the cleaning a waste of time. Her dear cousin had slammed the door on her hand with full force. It was a memory Carmen would never forget. Not because of the pain and distress, but because of what she saw. Looking up as she was screaming in pain, she vividly saw her cousin looking back at her, smiling, her hand holding the door closed on her hand. After that, Carmen didn't remember much, just that she was taken to the hospital and told that her hand had suffered irreparable damage. Nerves were crushed, bones splintered. She would never be able to make a damn fist again in her life without significant pain, and she would likely be on pain medication for the rest of her life. This would then be the part where charges were pressed for assault against her cousin, who so clearly maliciously attacked her and did grievous damage, the part where the police arrested her and she got justice, the part that, of course, never fucking happened. She cried crocodile tears, and it was all deemed a sad accident, so the situation was left with her poor cousin seen as the victim because she had such a hard time with the guilt. The police had asked Carmen if she wanted to press charges, and she sure as hell did. All this had resulted in was her entire extended family shunning her and her parents for trying to ruin her cousin's life over a small accident. How could the perfect cousin have even the slightest blemish on her records? Her aunt and uncle, some fucking how, ended up getting the charges just thrown out, and everyone moved on. Everyone except Carmen. She tried. She really did. Yet that fucking smile just stayed on her mind. For more than a year, she didn't see her cousin. In this period, Carmen's life had just gone down the shitter. She was told she would never box again, to no one's surprise. Even a year later, she couldn't even properly type on a keyboard without constant pain. Her life was fucked permanently because of her petty cousin. She had tried getting a job waitressing, but couldn't hold plates with one of her hands. It turns out that when you are semi-disabled, everything is just harder. The government was a hard ass with actually giving out disability, and employers prefer employees with two fully functional hands. All of it came to a crash fourteen months after the accident. Carmen was unemployed, drinking a bit too much, and back living with her parents. That day they got an invitation to a wedding. Her cousins. Carmen didn't want to go. Of course she didn't, but she was made to go anyway. The wedding was to be perfect, the entire family of both the bride and groom there. As her father had recently gotten promoted to a high position, she knew the only reason they were invited was to brag about how great their family was. As the wedding had to be perfect, they had to do rehearsals, all of which they wanted Carmen to attend. 
They had to be sure she looked presentable for the big day, after all. She went, got forced into a dress for the first time in years, and overall just wanted to get it all over with. The first rehearsal she had gone to went smoothly, as far as she knew. Yet afterward she was dragged aside by her aunt, the perfect cousin's mother. It turned out her mangled hand wasn't pretty enough, and she would have to wear gloves. She also had to stop looking so down and smile more, because that is easy when you spend most of your time contemplating suicide or murder. Carmen could only grit her teeth and hold her emotions in. This continued as she was pulled aside and admonished over and over again, told what to say if asked, told what to wear if seen, what to do if prompted, and finally to be nice and leave early. It all was just building up inside her. She wanted it over with, until the final straw broke the camel's back. Her cousin pulled her into an adjacent room, just the two of them. She said words Carmen would never forget. It is your own fault you had to be a bitch and get punished. Ladies shouldn't need to use their hands anyway, so stop being depressed or whatever. These were the first words her cousin had spoken to her in fourteen months. Not asking for forgiveness, not even a damn apology. She just made that same fucking smile. So Carmen showed her that she could still make a fist, even if it hurt. She showed her that she could still punch someone with as much strength as before. She showed her that she could still beat the living shit out of someone, that she was still not to be fucked with. She showed her that she hadn't forgiven her, and that she would eventually always get her revenge. It didn't continue for long before the screams caught the attention of the others. They rushed into the room, dragged Carmen off her cousin, and held her down when the soon-to-be-wed girl was taken to the hospital. Carmen would never forget how her cousin looked when she saw her in the courtroom, her face was unrecognizable. Carmen hadn't gone easy on her, but let out all her frustrations. In the end, her perfect cousin had been made not so perfect, her beauty ruined forever. During the altercation, Beatrice had several bones broken that ended up requiring reconstructive surgery. She lost an eye, most of her teeth, and, from what Carmen had heard, still suffered from problems with her memory even half a year later. During the trial, Carmen hadn't even tried to defend herself. She was, without a doubt, a nightmare to her attorney. But unlike her cousin, she didn't lie. She said exactly why she did what she did, and exited the courtroom after getting her sentence by giving her entire extended family a fat finger. Her next two years were, of course, spent in prison. Until one evening, it happened. The system arrived and changed her fate. Now... Two months later, the tutorial was about to come to an end. It had been quite a journey. On that day, they were all whisked away, granted powers, and then put back in the exact same prison again. Except it wasn't. It was larger, the layout different, and now filled with zombie-like creatures. The prison guards had been transported to one end, with the prisoners in the other. It was set up as a war between the two, with zombies in between. It turned out that violent prisoners welcomed a chance to get back at the guards, especially the creepier guards who, as men, had chosen to work at a women's prison for their own perverted tastes. It was a chance for revenge that they were more than happy to receive. On the side of the prisoners, a being appeared, a woman in a haggard dress who didn't fit in, but was powerful. She was there to lead them in the revolt, and her goal was to kill a similar figure on the guard's side. Simultaneously, the zombies were innumerable and had tens of variants, even a few leader types. 
Carmen didn't give a flying fuck about the whole revolt scenario. On the very first day, she dove into some of the narrow hallways and began picking off zombies one by one. She had chosen a heavy warrior, but quickly found that she didn't like swinging around a weapon. Her fists were backed, after all, so she threw the stupid axe she had picked to the side. She began killing the zombies day in and day out. She got further and further in, killed stronger and stronger enemies, and just had a swell time. She entered something called a dungeon with zombie beasts of some kind and a big wolf at the end. She killed all those, too, although it had been pretty hard, and she did get half her body bitten off at one point. Thank fuck for self-healing. In the end, she cleared three of those dungeons total, met some weird woman who called herself a god who she bluntly told the fuck right off, as her arrogant demeanor reminded her way too much of her stuck-up aunt. Then she met a second one, a bloke who was actually quite lovely, and ended up giving her a blessing or something. Good shit, as it increased her strength even further. Now, on the final day, in the final hour, she stood in the hole where it all began. The prison guards versus prisoners scenario had ended in slaughter, to the surprise of absolutely no one. The two powerful characters who had wanted to kill each other both died in the battle, taking each other out and leaving only a few human survivors. She herself knew that those two entities weren't the real final bosses. It was some other monster her quest had hinted at after she killed the wolf in the dungeon. The prison guards won the scenario. The only remaining survivors on the guard side were the warden and a dozen or so of his crew of creepy fuckers. Of the prisoners, she saw nine of them. Some of the prettier ones lay naked on the ground, defiled and dead, all of them clearly evolved at level twenty-five in their race. The warden had taunted her about how he had won, how he was going to become a lord in the new world. Oh, Carmen, you are always a tough one to deal with, but I promise you that if you are obedient and become my woman, I will... That day she found out that her fists crushed skulls far more efficiently now. She then found herself in a white room once more, with a little dude who told her stuff. She was praised, which was nice, and given access to a store. She had earned quite a few points, gotten just over six hundred million after all the math, netting her a title and quite a lot of points to spend. She even got points from some lord title she hadn't noticed before. But the juicy one was what she got from her performance. Rising star of the ninety-third universe, as the curtains fall, some stand ahead of others. You have shown yourself to be a promising new initiate of your universe, but beware, for the road is long, and even the talented can fall due to a single misstep. Plus ten all stats, plus five percent all stats. That one felt good. She quickly bought some skills, as she didn't really need equipment, and prepared to return to Earth. She had a... Reunion with her dear family to attend. Intermission 4. Noboru Miyamoto. Laying on his bed, the old man opened his eyes ever so slightly, an action that clearly required a lot of energy from him, as he closed them once more soon after. He was still alive, but he knew that he would soon join his wife. The passage of time had no mercy as it continued its march. His wrinkles were only getting deeper, and his old bones weaker by the day. It had been months since he had left his bed, and any action was hard now. But such is death. Throughout his life, he had never believed that he would one day die in a bed. He had lived an exciting life and had few regrets, if any at all. Opening his eyes once more, 
He stared at the flowers at his bedside. A slight smile crept to his lips as he remembered his wonderful great-grandchild that had brought them earlier that day. Or was it yesterday? He didn't remember. His memory wasn't what he used to be. One hundred and seven years. That was how long the man had lived. Two world wars, one where he fought for his country until the two bombs fell. A war where they had been on the wrong side of history. Yet he didn't regret fighting, for he had done so for honor back then. It was what his family had expected, even if he had been an already aging man back then. Afterward he rose to be the head of the family, sired five great children, and grew the company several times. He had built upon a legacy of centuries, and standing on the shoulders of giants, he had earned his place. The next generation was ready, and his name would be remembered. He was Noboru Miyamoto, head of the Noboru family, chairman of the Noboru group, as well as holder of so many other titles he had been given throughout the years. He had done as his ancestors hoped, and he had excelled. He had done all for his family, and had very few vanities for himself. He did have one, however. On the wall hung an old Japanese sword, one inherited in the family all the way back to when Shogun still ruled the land. Their family had once been known as honorable warriors, and while his family had now mostly shied away from the arts of combat, he had chosen to honor that tradition. He had reached the highest honors in Kendo, won national championships, and had in his youth been hailed as one of the greatest geniuses ever. His father hadn't approved for a long time, as he preferred for his son to learn valuable business skills instead, but due to his excellent results, he still brought honor to his family, so it was allowed. Now it was only his vanity, not that he had been able to pick up a sword for more than a year, but before that he'd practiced every chance he'd got. He hadn't been in the professional sphere for more than half a century, but before a few years ago he hadn't missed a single day of training. It was his own personal way of meditating. Miyamoto was a proud man. He was proud of all he had done, all he had accomplished. He blinked, or believed he did so, but he must have fallen asleep for a moment. Before him, he saw his family, all of them. Tens of people had gathered in the room, and the doctor stood at his side. Most of the women had tears in their eyes, while the men stoically held back their grief. Tears would flow only when alone. Miyamoto heard the doctor say some things, and despite him not quite hearing what he said, he knew what it was. His time had come. Smiling, he tried to lift his feeble hand, but failed, as he had no strength left. But it was okay. He looked them in the eyes, especially his grandson, a middle-aged man of strong stature, his successor. They all understood his sentiment. I leave it all to you. Closing his eyes for what should have been the last time, he heard a loud ding a sound that appeared not to be a sound, but instead rang out within his very mind, and then it all turned white. The old man found himself standing in a completely white room, standing on his two legs that hadn't been able to carry his weight for nearly a year, and not without a cane for a decade. Yet now he stood steadily. His body was no longer numb from medicine. He was alive. Is this the Velma reincarnation? he asked himself a question that was soon answered as he saw a weird humanoid creature that began explaining his circumstances. 
explaining the multiverse, levels, and all kinds of concepts Miyamoto could most easily compare to those concepts in the phone games he saw his great-grandchildren play around with. And that was how Noboru Miyamoto entered the system on the day he should have died. That day had been more than two months ago, as the tutorial was now very soon over. In the pouring rain stood a single man wearing a dark blue robe and swinging his sword, clashing with another before him, a man not of flesh and bone, but stone and soil. Yet he moved like a man and swung his halberd with agility and great finesse. But the warrior in blue moved with even more grace as he dodged, his footwork impeccable, every swing of his sword carrying deadly intent. The rain appeared to move as he did, dancing with his steps, marveling at his skill and demeanor. The warrior of stone was stronger, faster, but the one in blue was more skilled. It was an even fight, with skills being exchanged left and right. Around them stood many other fighters, now only staring at the duel. On one side, men of stone. On the other, humans. A commander of the Terracotta army was facing off against a new initiate to the system. The fight had been going on for only a few minutes, and they both knew there were only mere minutes left of the tutorial as a whole. Yet neither showed any impatience as they fought, both knowing that a single misstep would mean defeat and death. On the human side stood a gathering of people in similar robes to the warrior in blue. They all had nervous looks on their faces, yet didn't dare to step forward. Their patriarch had chosen this duel, and they would respect it. Clashing with their weapons, both warriors fell back as the timer now reached only a minute. Both looked at each other, the eyes of stone meeting the eyes of the human across from it. Their next clash would be the last, and the one to determine the victor. Neither were willing to let the battle end as a tie. The terracotta commander got down in a stance as energy swirled around him, and the air crackled. As if a tempest kicked up around him, power swirled chaotically. On the other side, the warrior in blue bent his knees as he prepared his blade, his face serene. Miyamoto, the warrior in blue, smiled slightly to himself as he prepared his attack. The rain upon his skin soothed his soul as he watched his opponent grow stronger with every passing moment. A direct clash would be unwise, but his honor didn't allow him to dodge. His face was still wrinkled and old, his limbs thin and his hair white. He looked like a man with one foot in the grave, but his demeanor and straight back told otherwise. He was filled with life and power, more than ever before despite his decrepit appearance. Looking at the rain, he felt inspired once more, far from the first time during these last few months. He had always believed the world to be more than what was, for things to exist that man was never meant to touch upon. But after the system, he was no longer a man, and those laws were now his to reach towards. Pouring his enlightenment into his blade and his actions, he sprang forth, his opponent doing the same. He didn't move according to a plan, but simply followed the way of the rain. They clashed, but no explosion or shockwave was felt as the observers expected. Instead it all just silently ended as the blade slid through the air, calm as the light bristle around them. It didn't stop when it hit the halberd, but kept cutting, passing through the commander like he too was only made of water. The commander fell now in two, the warrior in blue smiling and sheathing his sword as he looked towards the sky. His last sight was the rain, as he heard the kill's notifications. You have slain Terracotta Army Commander, level 99, 
Bonus experience earned for killing an enemy above your level. 1 million TP earned. As the fourth and strongest army commander fell, only the general remained. He stood on the other side and nodded in recognition towards the warrior in blue. As a degrade, he would be able to end the warrior instantly if he stepped in. But it was not time. He would prefer to face the warrior back on the planet known as Earth. The tutorial ended, and Miyamoto found himself in the White Room once more. After all the calculations, he had ended up with barely one billion points, a big contributor to that being his legendary prodigy title, a title the old man found a bit unfitting with his age. But, perhaps due to his many titles or his solo killing of the strongest commander, he was awarded a title. True standout of the 93rd universe. As the curtains fall, some prove themselves true standouts. You have shown yourself to be a very promising new initiate of your universe. But beware, for the road is long, and even the talented can fall due to a single misstep. Plus 15 all stats. Plus 10% all stats. With that, the tutorial ended and he and his family would return to Earth, reunite with the clan, and work to reunite their country, establish themselves as the most powerful faction of the New World. With their patriarch, the Sword Saint, at the helm, they would prove themselves supreme. Intermission 5. Baron. Life is beautiful. To see the life of others flourish perhaps even more so, to see the hope and happiness that new life brings into the world and how that spark of life would only grow with the years. At the same time, the deterioration of life is perhaps the most tragic thing. To see age slowly neuter that spark, or to see sickness or injury slowly sap away at its splendor. Aaron had always loved life, not as a broad thing, but just the mere existence of it. From an early age it had intrigued him, he remembered rushing home from school every single day, not to play or be with friends, but to sit and stare at a bird nest he could see from his second-floor window. Eggs had been laid in it, five of them. The child loved seeing them grow day after day, and he loved seeing their parents' attentiveness as they took care of them, making sure that the small sparks of life wouldn't be extinguished. When they were born, their spark only grew. Aaron observed the birds every single day, until one day when they were no longer there. He went crying to his parents and was told by his father that some day the bird has to leave its nest and that it was now its own bird, its own independent spark of life traveling around, that it was time for it to form its own family soon and spread the wonderful gift of life. He had even seen his own spark. It was beautiful, like all the others, he remembered staring at it in the mirror for hours before his mother came to get him. Through growing up, he continued being fascinated with life. He would help animals he found to reignite their fading sparks, or he would look sadly on as the neighbor's dog began to have its spark fade. Even as a child, he began to understand that some sparks could never reignite. They had simply burned out, and it was their time. The dog died shortly after of old age. In his teenage years, he was always a bit of an isolated child. He was perhaps always a bit of an oddball, as he just liked to watch more than participate. But that all began to change one day when he went to the bookstore with his father and found a book on physiology and medicine. He was fascinated, to say the least. 
the prospects of being someone whose sole existence was to preserve life and keep the spark healthy? It became his dream, a dream he would pursue to great success. After that, he began studying to reach his goal. With the single-mindedness he had used to observe the birds, he dove into the books. He managed to get to the top of his class and enter a prestigious university. There he once more managed to prove excellent. It was joked about that Aaron could see if a person was sick just by looking at them, which Aaron never found particularly funny, because he could. A fact he had learned very early on in his life, and he knew only he could see those small sparks, a secret he had come to hide. It was his gift, one he would not waste. Graduating, he became a fully-fledged doctor, a title he swiftly advanced to as he was named head surgeon. With his talent and persistence, he could, without a doubt, have advanced further, but he chose not to. His creed was to save and preserve life, and further advancements would mean having to waste time in meetings and administration, something he adamantly refused to do. He had become addicted to the feeling of nurturing those sparks. To have a patient enter with only a small flicker remaining, only for him to make it flare to life once more. He never needed the advanced instruments of others to see the patient's conditions. The spark was enough. Losing a patient, on the other hand, was the worst feeling. To desperately try and nurture the spark, only for it to lose its glow anyway. He knew once the spark completely disappeared, there was no way back, no resuscitation possible, no hope for life to return. This was the saddest feeling he could imagine, and the first few deaths took their toll. He also purposefully avoided some places. The ward with the terminal patients, he took a long road to avoid. The same was true for care centers and homes for the elderly. He hated seeing their sparks. They were weak, a type of weakness Aaron knew he couldn't fix. It was the type that meant death was imminent, that caused the spark to die slowly. Perhaps even worse was knowing when it would die. Aaron's experiences had taught him that. Like with the dog, he could tell. And who wants to know that they're going to die within the week? Why was he cursed with the knowledge that the older woman he saw in the grocery store had only a few weeks left, or that his very own father's cancer wasn't as benign as they all hoped? He knew he couldn't share any of it. Who would believe him? And if they did, would they blame him for the deaths? Aaron thought of this gift of his many times what it was or why he had it. When he was younger, he wondered if he was the protagonist of some hero's tale. Did perhaps everyone have powers they chose to hide, or was there something wrong with him? He finally got his answer when the system came. A bloodline, a word Aaron would not have used to describe it, but a concept he quickly comprehended. He indeed was special. He had a blessing few had, one now officially recognized by the system in this new world. The bloodline ability was simple. It allowed Aaron to see vital energy, to understand it, and soon, as he came to learn, to far more easily control it. When the choice of class was presented, he didn't hesitate a second before picking a healer. A chance to help nurture more sparks was too good to pass up, and the thought of instead extinguishing those sparks disgusted him on a fundamental level. After that, he found himself thrown into a new world. A city of some kind, but the architecture was not like anything he had seen before. It was vaguely human, but everything was just bigger. Doors were all roughly twice as big, and the same went for windows and houses in general. The streets were broader than most two-lane highways. 
There was a distinct lack of any auxiliary items, though. No furniture was found, just huge, hollow houses and empty streets. With them were a vast array of other humans. Many he recognized from the hospital, patients and employees both. Most surprising, however, was the man he found himself right next to. The man he was just about to operate on. A man a single step away from death moments before, now fully healed. It was done through means above his wildest imaginations. What's more, everyone's sparks were shining brighter than ever before. It was wonderful. They all knew this area was meant to be a tutorial, but what it was supposed to test nobody knew. First they all grouped up, a crowd of around forty people, and went to one of the nearby houses to gather their thoughts. The tutorial called it survival, but provided little more information than that. After exchanging greetings and introductions, they began to think of basic necessities. None of them had anything but the clothes on their backs, a satchel of potions, and their starting equipment. All was well until nightfall. Creatures came, out of the dark corners of every street, of every abandoned building, small things with sharp claws and maws full of teeth. The people responded as one would expect. Panic, confusion, and finally cohesion born of a will to survive. They fought and, in the end, won against the monsters. But they lost eight people. Eight lights snuffed out forever. A heart-wrenching moment for all of them, perhaps, but Aaron felt it even more so. Aaron hated himself for that first night. He had been weak. He had been cowardly. He could have healed more, done more. He could have saved them. But he'd frozen as he saw the creatures, because they also carried sparks of life within them, some which burned more brightly and some less so. Who was he to be the arbiter of their death? It was a wake-up call for all of them. Aaron began immersing himself in his new powers of healing as he healed the injured after the fight. Despite what one might believe of a hospital, few had chosen to be a healer. Most had gone with one of the warrior options, a few with Archer, and a lot with the caster. Of their group of forty they only had two healers, one of which died in the attack, leaving him as the only one. But he did notice that they lacked a lot of hospital employees, too. Had they been brought to another tutorial? Were the number of healers low on purpose? When he practiced the healing spells, he found that they were inefficient. They didn't nurture the spark as well as they should. Whenever he healed someone, he could see the energy that was called mana transform as it got channeled through his skill, converted into the vital energy that made up the sparks. Practicing with the skill, he quickly improved drastically. He learned to subtly control the vital energy as he healed people. It was wonderful for him to see his touch directly restoring the sparks. That day he got quite a few levels, and his skill even upgraded two times, becoming a rare skill. He also got a new rare skill upon reaching level five. It was all fascinating. The days ticked by, and a routine was formed. The days were quiet, for the most part, with only other humans really offering issues. They discovered that food did exist, but it was a bit hard to come by. Water was even worse, as only a single pond was found, and it was often guarded by strong lizards covered in spikes. At night, the dark creatures would appear and attack them, and every night they got stronger. Luckily, or perhaps by design, so did the survivors. They fought them off time and time again, and soon it was barely an issue for their group to defeat them. That is, until the tenth day. This time was different, as a larger, bulky version of the creatures appeared. 
It was larger and stronger than all those prior. That night they lost four more before the creature fell. It was also the day Aaron began to form a new idea. Something happened whenever someone's spark was snuffed out. For a few moments after their death, it was still there, like the smoke remaining after a matchstick is extinguished. And like that smoke, perhaps a new flame could reignite the spark. A few days later, another person died. Their group had expanded at this point, as the danger posed by the larger creatures had made the humans realize they had to band together. This naturally also meant that the amount of attacking creatures increased. The one who died this time was a young woman who had yet to even reach level 10. Aaron had already discovered at this point that he could heal people without them being alive. He could still heal their physical body. It was actually quite simple, as all he had to do was guide the vital energies through their bodies while also applying his extensive medical knowledge and knowledge of human anatomy. To do this had become a common practice after he had first done it. On the one hand, it offered those who cared about the victim a complete corpse and the chance for a proper burial. From a more pragmatic standpoint, it allowed Aaron to level more, making further healing more effective. This also, in turn, offered him a chance to experiment with his newfound idea, an idea that failed again and again. No matter what he did, he couldn't quite reignite the spark. A final step eluded him, time and time again. It was frustrating, but the constant pressure from the nightly attacks and other human conflicts didn't offer him much peace to ponder on it. Days went by quickly with this, until the twentieth day. This time the difficulty spiked once more. The creatures were more numerous, and yet again a new type emerged. This one a dark, spiked creature that could even use magic. Its level also marked a new threshold, twenty-five. That day, more than twenty people died. Aaron had reached level twenty-four during the battle, and was on the verge of advancing himself. He hadn't bothered much with his profession, which he had unlocked during the slight downtime he had, so his race level was still low. With the many new corpses, Aaron began their restoration and his secret experiment, one that failed time after time, until finally he discovered the issue on the seventeenth corpse. What his healing lacked wasn't the power of vitality. It was a direction, intent. He needed not just to revive the life of someone, but their spirit too. He tried this on the seventeenth, and for but a brief moment he managed to bring him back, but soon after the spark just snuffed out again. Whatever was meant to keep the spark lit was gone. New intent was needed, a new guide, if you will. Aaron saw no other alternative than his own vital energy to do this. For the first time he didn't only pour mana into the healing spell, but his very own life force as well. This time the spark was reignited without burning out. At the very same moment he reached a level twenty-five and got a class evolution. On the twentieth day he was reborn. He met a god and successfully resurrected a person. On the final day of the tutorial he stood in the middle of the large robe not far from where he had first appeared. A white robe covered his body as he gazed at the many people following him. Men and women who all stood by him, eyes glazed over. His resurrection was a success for the body. It turned out the soul was a bit harder to return than that. In the end only the body lived, its stats intact, sometimes perhaps even a single skill still functioning. But all intelligence and personality were gone. They were but living corpses, their souls lost. But to Aaron, 
that was okay, because their sparks now burned more brightly than ever before, all in the same beautiful color as the one he'd seen in the mirror all those years ago.